Hey, this is Benjamin Mara. You're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. Look at that. Rested and ready. Bang, straight out the gate. That's right. You grabbed it by the throat. You grabbed it by the throat. And you wrestled it to the ground. You said, you're mine, buddy. Buddy. Yeah. That's that's our quote. That's the word. The cleaver version. You're mine, buddy. Al. <laughs> Chum. <laughs> Chum. Chumbelina. I, 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 I have a friend who, um, he and I can joke around and we'll take things literal from time to time. And, and, and I I called him Chum once. He was I'm a fucking shark food. I was like, oh, <laughs> it, boy. Took, it took me back. So I was just like, wait, what? It, he just, because he can kind of pivot. And and act bipolar and and it's just it it I was surprised to see that as his response based on everything else we're going <laughs> yeah. with but, I, but for the shark food I was how'd like, yeah, you like good. to right. be married to that okay. uh, I saying. don't know I I don't know who I am um, who I envy is what's the opposite of envy I, I don't know if if, if pity if uh, yeah pity's <laughs> a good word yeah I don't know if, I don't know I don't know if I pity CC or Xy more in that relationship that's you know, some people just should be together. Like us. Or oh, like, absolutely. Like we is better. The gang's all here. It's true. <laughs> Your three well, favorite hosts of 11 this, O'Clock Comics. This gang is all here. It's actually 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 694, and I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. Damn, I cannot believe we're almost at 700, and I am David A. Price. Yes, and Jason is away this episode so when jason's away tony come to play we have a guest not really a guest it's it's actually a family member just stopped by for coffee it's tony fleece he's not taking liquids from anybody until there's a vaccine in my veins oh just it's coming right before the election we got it no problem oh good cool yeah yeah sure i'm sure that one's safe save the day we're rounding the corner on that Yes. As I was preparing for this episode, <laughs> and preparing is obviously in quotes, I thought, my little Tony's going to be on with us. And I, <laughs> then I thought, how amazing is it that your name rhymes with what it is that you do? Yeah. It's so convenient. Nobody has... Uh... You're the first one to get to that. Congrats. Yes, really. I just <laughs> the number one person to step in that pile. And yeah. you could step in a mighty big pile of savings if you go to Discount Comic Book Service. DCBService.com will get your books, get them fast, and get them delivered right to your door for an eensy-teensy fraction of what everybody else is paying. How can they do it? I don't know, but they do it. 30, 40, 50% off your favorite books and trade paperbacks and everything else in the previous catalog now unfortunately the list of specials has not been posted yet it happens but as we are wont to say the discounts will be as deep as one of them buckets that they make the pizza with up in chicago and plentiful so you're going to save and there's going to be a lot of it dcbservice.com just go there they are wonderful we should be drinking something because it's been a hell of a day so far. What do you what do you what do you drink when you wake up from a nap? 
when I wake up from a nap, I don't know. I like to drink Sam Adams, Oktoberfest. Oh. Because it's my favorite. It's not my all-time favorite, but it's my favorite among the beer that I currently have in the house right now. What is your all-time favorite? Beer? Just oh, wow. Um, no. Mm, Magic Hat number nine? Oh, yeah. Okay. I can see that. I think I only had it once with you. And I think, I don't even know if I've had a had it to call my own. I might have just stole a swig. No, it's very good. But there is something very comfortable and and safe and just wonderful about Sam Adams. Just straight Sam Adams. It's There's no frills. It's a great taste in beer. I should be a spokesperson. <laughs> All right, Bob Uecker. Yeah. But yeah, I'm drinking Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Nice. How about you, Tony? I'm having uh, my my standard 11 o'clock comics drink. I'm having just a cup of coffee from the Keurig uh, with Basil Hayden's in it. That's right. Um, I'm run, I'm, I probably got about four more cups of coffee worth of Basil Hayden's. So I'm going to have to get some more before we do this again next time. That's a funny name, Basil. Basil Hayden's. Yeah, <laughs> because growing up um, as a comic book fan and a horror fan, I would encounter that name more often than one should have at mm-hmm. at a young age. Like it was either uh, Wolverton or Rathbone, right? Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I would say Basil. And then yeah. you hear uh, like Forrest Ackerman pronounce it Basil. And you yeah. wonder, like, how do you pronounce this freaking name? And I, I don't think, I'm, I'm sure, according to the person who is tagged with the name, there is a correct way to pronounce it. But I've always said Basil. It just seems more organic yeah. and it's i mean i do too that, that that's how i've always pronounced it i do know that that our friends over in the uk say basil um but the the herb is basil it is that's right right yeah. yes but yes, is that is. the name in basil hayden's i think it is because because bourbon is american okay it's not irish whiskey it's not scotch it's it's bourbon so uh therefore it's american i think it's basil I do. Well, then my mother leaned on that basil heavy when she made the spaghetti sauce. Not the basil. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think... of Baker Street. Yes. I always think of um, Austin Powers and his... his, uh, his Oh, yeah. But... um, Nice. I knew knew Tony was going to bring the basil. And and I thought that... um, I need to get a bottle. I don't have a bottle in this house. The the one of my favorites, one of the more pricier ones that I have actually in the house is what I'm drinking tonight. There's a a local distiller in Westchester. They're based in um, in Portchester on the other side of uh, the county, right on the border of uh, Connecticut. Um, and this is nine one four because that's the area code of Westchester County. So it's nine one four Bourbon. Um, and I decided to have a glass of this that I don't have too often. So this is this is for Terry, who I am drinking to tonight and that's what we're saying about yeah salute all right we have gathered here today to talk about comics so that's what we shall Hmm. do yes yeah who's been reading what what's going on well oh okay um (laughs) i didn't want to play my hand i didn't want to play my hand early but i i I guess i will because i have done something to make david very 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 happy well then okay so it's a gift actually i and 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 I, my heart is is 
thumping up my chest because it it is. I mean, my, my birthday is days away, really. so, so so to hear this, yeah, um, is is very special. I mean, I if you if you don't want to open with that because I want to get it off my desk. Um, going back to our Elseworlds discussion, I still have that one other Superman tale. So I mean, if if we can discuss that real quick, or I can save it for later. Let's do it. If you want to talk about what you want to talk about. We got no plans here. Let's just be organic, however however you want to do it. So so this um this story was one that I had never read prior to our theme episode a couple weeks ago. And this is by Roy Thomas and Michael Lark. Um this was published in nineteen ninety-nine. And it is Superman War of the Worlds. And it is, without a doubt, one of my I, I, I was going to say it's one of my favorite Superman stories, but it is, with no hyperbole, one of my absolute favorite Golden Age Superman stories of all time. I am not the hugest Golden Age Superman fan. I appreciate um, what uh, what he accomplished during, you know, in, in the Golden Age, and, and as far as his, you know, as far as his power set and 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 who his opponents were. I mean, you know, it, it's the politicians and the corrupt landlords and i mean that that's 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 great i mean it's 1930s this is perfect um but you know my superman works at the daily planet and and there's just certain things that i associate when i think of superman that's what i think of and and the origins of the golden age superman the 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 foundation the, the supporting cast and everything not it's not really what i'm all about so i i i don't always i for me to see Golden Age Superman, it's like for me his highlight was when he watched Earth two get destroyed in Christ on Infinite Earth. So I'm like, that's you know that that that's when I think of of Golden Age Superman. But this for Roy Thomas to write this freaking perfect because it's set in the 1930s. It's 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 perfect and and he basically took the War of the Worlds concept and and plopped it right into Metropolis. So you have you have those giant tentacled robotic vehicles that are uh, wreaking havoc along the land and taking over the world. But what was great about this story and Michael Lark, I've, I've never seen Lark look like this because it, it is, it is set in a style that is fit for the era that this is supposed to take place in. So um, the art's fantastic as well, but, Everything is um, knowing Roy and, and, and how he likes to uh, be a slave to, to history. He, um, you know, all the, all our characters are 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 where they need to be. Taylor is the uh, is is the editor in chief. Perry is just the, um, the copy editor, or, or rather, the city editor. Um, and and you have um, Lois Lane, who's who, who's trying to you know show that she she can write just as well as a man. But there's a meteor, is what they're calling it. But but a, but a giant spaceship lands um, shortly outside of uh, Metropolis city limits, and the army is there, and a red-headed Lex Luthor is there, and all of a sudden, a Martian crawls out of uh, of the machine, falls. Not to his death, but because of gravity, it just it, it falls out of the spaceship and then just lands right onto the ground. Um, and and while this is happening because of gravity, 
that makes Clark think, well, maybe that's why I can leap because of gravity. And, and, and so, so Thomas is also Roy's giving you little insights as to what Clark is thinking and, and maybe having him recognize why he's able to do the things he's doing. And, and, uh, cause this is still a very new, very green Superman. Um, and this is literally his first day at the daily star. Um, so the machine, all of a sudden a turret appears and starts blowing away all the civilians in the area. The, um, the, the professor who was with uh, the scientist who was with Luthor, um, everybody's just getting blasted, incinerated. Clark grabs Lois and shields her with his body. He gets blasted and she's come and she's on the ground and she looks up and she's like, well, we should be dead. And she sees Clark in his familiar outfit. That is even before he's Superman, but he's just wearing the outfit and, and she is just like, she's, uh, she's asking if those long johns are fireproof and, 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 and is that what saved us? And, and then she's asking Kent, what are you? And there are moments where Lois seems a little standoffish because she doesn't know how to take the situation. But, but then she also wants to get into what's going on and she wants to look at the damage that this machine has done. And, and Clark is like, you know, it's pretty grisly. Maybe not. She's like, listen, I'm a reporter. It's my job to look, um, but basically, Clark is like, listen, we don't know if that beam's going to go off again. I, I want to keep you safe. So the army shows up. The army starts doing, thinking about doing what they love to do, which is shoot shit. But the spaceship emerges from the hole. Now it's got its legs and, and, and it's going to start moving around and it's attacking the, um, the army, blowing up tanks, killing soldiers. Superman is, he, he, he's a little weakened from the previous blast. He tries to fight it gets blasted again, gets knocked to the ground and um, comes back to keep fighting. He uh, saves some soldiers, picks up one of um, the tanks, has the tank fire at the, uh, at the spacecraft, doesn't do anything. So then he just starts taking the, the turret and, and beating up against the, uh, the Martian machine. It goes down. Everybody's all happy. And, um, and Superman reaches in. Superman's a little bloodthirsty here. He reaches into the uh, into the craft, picks up the Martian, and tosses it um, into uh, into the fire that part of the destruction that he had just caused. Uh, so while all this is going on, other tripods are blowing up trains and factories, and they're just making their way across the country, uh, across the the city. And um, Lois makes it to a payphone. She calls the uh, the paper. Lex Luthor is there. He's like, "Listen, I'll um, I'll get you as close to Metropolis as I can because I, I need to get to my laboratory." Knowing Luthor, he probably calls it a laboratory. And and he just he's like, "I gotta I gotta get there because I gotta find out what we can do to stop this." So um, while Superman is with the soldiers doing what he can to fight it back. Um, he rescues one soldier who, who had uh, got ejected from an airplane, saves him from falling because the parachute got burned up. And uh, and Superman saves him, brings him down to the ground. Soldier's like, well, thanks, you know, whoever you are, but how can you fly? Superman's like, no, I'm not flying, but I'll admit I can jump pretty far. And he's like, well, I can take you back to... And, and, and the soldier's just like running away. He's like, get, get away from me, you're not human. And it's just like, 
so all all Clark is thinking is mom and dad they had said that even when I'm fighting for their lives, people fear me. They run for me because I'm different. Um, well, they better hope I'm really different or their whole civilization is going to be gone with the wind. And that's like the second or third time in this story that he's, he's, he's used a movie reference from that time mm. in the story. So it's fitting. Um, so, so George Taylor and Jimmy Olsen are watching through the window at, at the daily star to find out, you know, see if they can see what's going on. Um, they're watching, this acrobat in his jumpsuit jump around and 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 take on these aliens. Um, well, this is happening. Luther and and Lois are stuck in traffic, basically. So the cars are on fire. Martians are still ready to attack. They um, they're moving kind of quick, and they're about to. They, they, it looks like they're about to trap Lois. And Luther's like, "That's a fool, woman. I told her to." And then he gets stopped by a wall of flame. And that wall of flame burns his hair off. And the soldiers, because they were gassed, um, they're all passing out and dying. Superman's holding his breath a little longer. He's trying to fly away, but the Martians blast him from both sides. There's, 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 he's surrounded by two of them. Um, and then he falls to to the ground, passes out. They pick him up. They throw him in um, in their machine. And... Now the machines are in Metropolis proper downtown walking by the daily star. One of them turns Taylor pushes Jimmy out of the doorway right before his office gets destroyed because of where it's located in the building. And, and, and editor in chief George Taylor has perished and, and his beautiful double page spread um, with, with, with you know, the writing is uh, I'm taken from, Wells's story and um Superman comes too after some time has passed and and he's surrounded by Martians in their true form and you know, one of them has uh has a tool uh, not quite a scalpel but based and he looks like he could be their doctor or their scientist and um and Superman's trying to fight uh out of um out of the the shackles he's in and he does. He is able to um, to break free from one hand, uh, but he's too exhausted, and and the bonds that he's that they have him attached to can can easily be repaired and replaced. So he's he's not going very far. And the person who's telling him all this is Doctor Luthor. And um, Luthor's basically like, I'm communicating telepathically. I'm it, it, it's basic. And it's elementary, but you know we're, we're we're able to communicate, and um, and at this point Superman realizes that he's been unconscious for three weeks. It's been three weeks. These pods have, have taken over the country. They've 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 toppled Germany, so Hitler was never a threat. They've 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 been to Russia. I mean, they're they're, they're all over the world. Um, they've uh, while while the Martians are doing their thing, Luthor is. Um, I said he's he's helping them. He's he's trying to keep them alive, and even if it means at the cost of humanity. And and at this point, Clark calls him a traitor. Um, well, it's just like humanity is finished. I'd be a damn fool to go down with it. The, Mar- the Martians recognize my genius, so I work for them. Not that they entirely trust me yet, but um, humans are being used for slave labor, ultimately for food. Um, he's hoping to keep Lois Lane alive because that'll be 
his consort, and they bring Lois in. She's not sure what the hell's going on. She's been a little out of it. Um, and, and, and Luther's like, okay, so the Martians are intrigued by Clark Kent, by his survival, because of the way his skin is stronger than everybody else's. And, and Luther has explained to the Martians that he's not, he wasn't sure if Clark's from earth and, and Luther's like, so where are you from? He's like, Kansas. He's like, don't be cute before that. And Clark was like, listen, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I've lived on this planet for over 20 years, you know, so you, you, you could be right. Maybe I am an alien. It's not like, you know, my, I don't know where I came from. I, I don't know why I'm different. Um, but he's, these questions have bought Luthor and Clark some time. And he realizes that the other Martians are dying. Which is, uh, we were talking about the Tom Cruise movie a couple weeks ago. And as yeah, the, the, of course, Earth's natural defenses are, are, are were, were toppling the Martians. And, and so Martians in other countries are falling sick, um, getting ill. And, Luther figures that it's because of the close proximity to Clark that the Martians in this pod are able to, um, are still well. And, um, and, and he's like, uh, Superman's going to end up being the savior of the Martians. And, and Clark's like, I'll, I'll die before I even, you know, try to help you all. And he's actually, Luther is able to draw blood from Superman figures that the uh, antibodies, in Superman's immune system will be different from everyone else on the planet. So he can just replicate it. Luther can replicate it and the antibody should be able to cure, um, the advanced cases of the plight that's afflicting the, um, the Martians. As Luther is saying this, explaining this to Lois, the Martians are understanding this as well. And they've basically decided that Luther no longer serves a purpose. And now he's pleading, he's begging for help because he's about to be strangled. Lois picks up, the uh, prod that uh, they had when Superman came to stabs it, one of the Martians in the head. Martian drops Luthor. Luthor um, gets Superman down from his bonds. Superman attacks the guards. And so now Superman, Clark, Luthor, and Lois are all teaming up to um, to take on the Martians. So, of course, recognizing that um, Luthor was obviously just in it for himself, um, he of course tries to save face, and he's like, "I'll, I'll, I'll show these Martians mercy, the same mercy they were going to show me. I must have been temporarily mad to try to help them." Clark's like, "Dude, try nothing. You, you did help them." So, you know, I, it. Clark's calling bullshit on his bullshit, and 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 they make their way through the concentration camp, rescuing people. Um, and he turns to Lois. Clark turns to Lois. And he's like, "Why are you recoiling? Like, why are you?" And she's like, I, "I'm not." And Clark's like, "No, you were." And 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 it's because. Because of Luthor's theory, and and then I'm from another planet, and she's like, I know I shouldn't feel that way. After all, you've saved our lives, but I can't help it. After seeing what those things have done to humanity, I just can't bear the thought of an alien creature touching me, not even you. Maybe in time, when all of this is over and forgotten, I'll feel differently, but right now, please understand, Clark, please say you understand. And he's like, oh, yeah. He looks down, and he, yeah, I, I, I understand. Um, the one page I was absolutely waiting for. Throughout this entire thing, uh, the Martians come down and 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 they're attacking the prisoners who are escaping. Superman picks up a car, hood first, 
right into one of the tripod's legs, which, of course, is the classic Covert Action Comics number one, albeit not the side of a rock. But still, it's the same pose with with, with someone running away in the foreground, hands on his face. Um, tripods go down. Martians are shooting off missiles. Clark is throwing them back at them, um, doing all he can to uh, to knock them out of the sky. Unfortunately, now the Martians no longer need the legs. The ships have now learned to fly. And now, as they're still wreaking havoc, burning everything in sight, give Superman another blast. Superman falls to the ground, and he keeps fighting. They keep blasting. Um, and And he's... <laughs> Literally, we'll say in this story, with his dying breath, he keeps fighting, and and eventually he 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 goes down, and um, and he says, you know, he he's like, it's it was the war fever that, that basically his adrenaline was was keeping him going. Um, I had to fight the Martians. I realized we're both the aliens here. In spite of everything, I felt sorry for them. But um, if the Martians hadn't come, the people of Earth might have been running from me. And 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 these are the last things he's saying. And, and Luther's like, you know, that's that's crazy talk. Lois is like, no, he's right. We were afraid of him even while he was saving us. And what humans fear, they hate. And I had to double check to see what fucking year this was written in and what year this was about. And then she says, I've been such a fool. We all have. But we'll make it up to you, Clark. I swear we will. As she's saying this to Clark, the life drains from his eyes. And Luther announces he's dead. Um, and then the, the rest of the book is the rest of the story is known to every school child acting on Clark Kent's insight. Luthor's technical genius quickly found a way to duplicate the disruption of the Martians anti-gravity. Um, the few machines that were still functioning came toppling down. Statisticians estimate that nearly that as many as 40 million people were killed by the Martians before their annihilation. Um, Surely, even with the memory of the Great War of 1914 through 1918, it is inconceivable that mankind could have brought that much destruction upon himself. Uh, the rebuilding began. The devastated Germany, Japan, Italy, and Soviet Union have recognized upon vaguely democratic, have reorganized upon vaguely democratic lines. Um, Sir Oswald Mosley is uh, the leader of Great Britain. Lex Luthor, now world-renowned and married to the former Lois Lane, has been sworn in as Vice President of the United States. But John Cactus Jack Garner, the Texan who became President upon Roosevelt's death, shows a tendency to rule without an iron hand during the rebuilding. Um, how it will end, no one can truly say, but there is somehow a sense of inability about it all. And um, the beautiful statue of Clark Kent, um, and and basically mankind has learned during this past year that we cannot regard this planet as being fenced in a secure and abiding place uh, for the human race. And 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 uh, so so the story is kind of deep in more ways than one. But um, Michael Lark finished drawing it in 1998. Like I said, it was published in 1999. And it is um, it's 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 one of it's, it's one of those else that is truly done in one. There's no. It's, it's not a whole lot of open-endedness. Like, you know, the story will live on in your mind and, and you can take these characters with you elsewhere. This was this was a solo Superman story and and and, and that's it, the way it ended. Um, and it is, yeah, it, it, it's one of my now... I, I'm sorry I waited so long. I, sorry I didn't know about this, but waited so long to read it. But it is one of my favorite Elseworld stories and, and without a doubt one of my favorite Golden Age Superman stories. But yeah, I, I am glad I finally was able to at least chat about it a little bit and i don't know if 
If it's, I well, I don't even know what Tony thought about our Elseworlds episode, but I don't know if Vince, did you read this when it came out? I did. Yeah. What, no, it's a good one. Think? I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Roy was the one of the better choices to write it. Because um, if you if you pull back from that same period, Roy seemed to be in um, Wells mode, you know, with the Island of Doctor Moreau, and he did the, the, the you know uh, War of the Worlds. He's in the old old uh, sci fi pot boilers. I just think it worked. I, I thought Lark leaned on Noel Neal a little bit for uh, a little bit. for Lois, yeah. but yeah, I'd say so. Well, I mean, you if know, you're I'm surprised, I'm, I mean, I'm just looking at it online, uh, but I'm surprised at how well Michael Lark works for me in this context. Like, yeah, when describing it, I, I picture like you know, crime, photo refy, Michael Larky stuff. Yeah, no. And then when you think about it this way, it's like, oh yeah, this just looks like a serial. You know, yes. like. He's still yeah. using real people. And he's still using photo reference, but it just looks like a movie serial, not a, you know, not like a pulpy detective thing. Yeah, right. It's it's more Scarlet Traces than it is what Michael Lark has la- would later be to yeah. come to be known yeah. for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's I thought it was pretty great. Um, but Roy has never let me down, right? Uh, that's so, true. Rascally I, Roy. I hope you guys get like a, a reoccurring like Roy's Corner, where you just work out a. You know, like a weekly uh, check-in. Stop. Right. I don't feel like changing my pants midway through the episode. <laughs> it seems like it would be a, a lot of rigmarole. I listened to the Patreon episode where with you guys setting yeah. that thing up. It seems like it would be a lot to get a, just a segment. Maybe it would, got like five in a row. It would be worth it. And then right, we can say... like the old game shows. It's like we're just going to do we do the whole week on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. That's <laughs> it for another one. Yeah. <laughs> Except the way the the world moves is fast, you know. Like Roy yeah. would just be talking about the, three weeks ago's outrage. That's all right. <laughs> when you have a, a a god in the room, you just let them <laughs> wander willy nilly wherever they want. Tony, what's good? What are you reading? Um, like I said, I haven't. I didn't have a, a chance to read too much stuff. I had pulled like a bunch of stuff. Like, oh, I'm going to catch up on all this stuff, and then I'm just really going to talk about it. So I had pulled out and started reading uh, Mike Hawthorne's. Uh, graphic oh, memoir. Do you know about yes. this? I yeah, it was because it was in my previous video, and 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 God damn it, it didn't make the cut, and I'm kicking myself. But yeah, it's something that I've I've I want to keep an eye out, and I figured I'll just get it at a con, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> but so it's it's um it's it's on my list. I do want it. I, so I do want to read so it. Good. Yeah, I'm only I'm only a little ways into it, but I'm excited to to knuckle down and and get through that. And then I read a chunk of Powers. Because the last powers came out, and then I realized I haven't read it in probably ten years or five years, or I mean, since Bureau. Like I never finished Powers Bureau, so I started reading Bureau over again, and then I'm going to get caught up to everything. And because I, I own it all, like I have it here at the house, uh, but I haven't, I haven't got caught up on it. And that used to be like if somebody would say, "What's your favorite comic?" I would say, "Oh, Powers." Um, and it was interesting going back to it. Like I could step into it very easily, and uh, and like remember everything. You know, it's been years since I read it regularly, but like just stepping back into it, like oh yeah, Zora and Retro Girls, Callista, and all. Um, and so that was uh, that was interesting. But also, it was like this is going to sound funny because it's one of the main things about it. But like it was way more crude than I remembered it being. Maybe it's like am I just getting old and and like. Uh, 
prude, but like I'm just reading it and they keep saying like cunt and like all kinds of stuff. Wow. And I was like, good lord, <laughs> these, these powers are filthy. Uh, <laughs> which was it was very strange. Like I, I didn't expect myself to have that reaction. But maybe it's just sort of like the way culture has changed in the time since since I read it. You know, like. Also, like the the way that we that we think about police in the time since I last read it, you know, it's just very interesting. And so they're, they're wrapping it up right now. I've, I've got the the graphic novel is like their first and last graphic novel coming, which will be the end of Powers. Um, and so I'll, next time I come on, I'll, I'll be able to tell you more about that. But so I read an arc of Powers, and then but if we're gonna talk about stuff that I've read that I really was surprised by and enjoyed, uh, let's talk Star Wars comics from Marvel, um, which I've been reading just a shit ton of lately. Basically, when uh, Clone Wars ended on Disney+, Plus, I just sort of had this realization that, like, oh, there's no more Star Wars. Like, all the Star Wars that I was keeping up with is over now, and uh, and I don't, I don't have any Star Wars. And then I was like, oh, wait, I do have a bunch of Star Wars. Because I had sort of read the beginning of the Star Wars comics from the, the Marvel relaunch, the Jason Aaron stuff. And then I just hadn't read anything else. Uh, so for the like since then, basically, I've just sort of been going through all the Marvel Star Wars, or at least if it catches me, then I'll I'll keep up with it and and read it. And so I read through everything. And if I were to rank it, I guess I would rank uh, Doctor Aphra up top. That I think is the most like steady, consistent Star Wars comic. Art was the best. I thought like. Um, the Kev Walker was on that, just like killed it the whole time that he was on it. Um, very like working in licensed comics. I know what a pain in the ass licensed comics can be, but I also know that like, if you have the right editor and they have the right relationship with the licensor, uh, you can sort of like, they'll be able to talk to them and say like, this is the way this thing looks, you know, it's not about being, uh, specific to somebody's, uh, likenesses or anything like that. And I think Lucas owns all those likenesses anyway, so I feel like there's a little bit of leeway. I didn't get any pushback when I drew Lando Calrissian or whatever. Uh, but this guy, Kev Walker's stuff in Dr. Aphra is my favorite of the of the more recent Star Wars art. Um, so I read through all of that. I obviously read through Darth Vader to get there. And then I was listening to this show, and Vince started talking about the newest iteration of Darth Vader of like a couple of months ago. And I had sort of, I was like, all right, I read all through the Darth Vader that was the Gillen stuff, and I read the first hardcover of the Charles Soule stuff, and I wasn't really too into that one. Uh, the art was great, but I just feel like he wasn't really, like, there were no cliffhangers. Like, every issue was just like, all right, now we're here. And then it would pick up the next issue and be like, all right, and now what are we doing? Oh, let's go over here. Like, it just yeah. didn't seem to have, Phantom like, Menace all over again. Yeah, it wasn't any sort of like driving force to it. It was just sort of like the continuing adventures of Darth Vader. Um, but this new one, the Greg Pak, uh, Raphael, uh, Ianko, that's his name, right? Yeah, it's great. And the art's great. And the story's great. Vince, are you caught up on it? I know you read that first one or two. Yeah, no, I haven't been, uh, you know me, I, I read a couple and <laughs> yeah. then I let like six or seven build up and yeah. Yeah. All right, well, I'm going to talk about it a little bit. I don't want to ruin it for you. No, you can ruin it as much as you – I'm not going to remember. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what this series is about – I mean, if you listen to the show, uh, Vince already set it up. Basically, Darth Vader has uh, – it's this after Empire Strikes Back. So he's been rebuffed by Luke Skywalker. Luke would rather die in a pit 
then join him and rule the galaxy together, uh, as far as he knows. Uh, and so he's gone off to, he's gone on a journey to figure out what it is that made Luke Skywalker such a little bitch. Like he's just like, who raised this kid? What happened? Who was keeping secrets from me? How how did this cover up happen? So he's sort of like uh, hunting him, like hunting down the history of Luke Skywalker. Um, and he goes right back to the very beginning. He goes to um, uh, Naboo to Padme's grave, basically. And in the first issue, it ends. Padme shows up, and she's just like, "What are you doing here?" And what a great cliffhanger, like, especially yeah. coming off of a Darth Vader book with no cliffhangers like that one. You're just like, oh, fuck. How cool is this? What's going on? And obviously, like when you come back in issue two, uh, it's not Padme. It's her handmaiden, Sabe. And immediately I was just like, oh, of course, all those handmaidens still exist. Like that yeah. was their whole deal was protecting the princess. And so this book has these uh, like this uh, uh, like a small, not an army, but like a squad of these people still loyal to Padme Amidala, and they call themselves the Amidalans. Um, and they sort of like protect her grave and her legacy and her secrets. And so Darth Vader comes to Naboo to f- get to the bottom of this stuff, and they uh, sort of like go along with him. At first, they, you know, they trick him to say they're on his side. Um, and then eventually they're like, we know you killed, you know, like they don't know he's Anakin, but they figure he had something to do with her death. You know, like they think he killed Anakin and her. Um, and so they turn on him. And in this one, uh, it's great. Like they swim through the planet core, like in episode one, Darth Vader fights one of those gigantic fish. Uh, there's always a bigger fish, you know, but he fucking kills it. Cause he's Darth Vader, you know, it's just like great action. Um, and then, the best thing is when the uh, Amidalans show up and turn on him, it's, uh, this is so stupid. Like, I, I guess I should have, to, like, I have to sort of explain how I love Star Wars is that I love Star Wars. Like when it's bad, I love it. When it's good, I love it. I love the lore of it. I love knowing, you know, who General Nadine is and stuff, you know, like I just love the, all of Star Wars, the way people love Star Trek. I love Star Wars. Um, like I like the new ones. I like the prequels, like, and, you know, as time goes on, I sort of have things that I like more than other things. But if you're a Star Wars, that's good enough for me. Uh, but in this case, this is a good-ass Star Wars. Um, so when the Amidalans show up, it's Rick O'Lee, the pilot from Episode One, the, the guy that's like, that little droid did it! Uh, why why like, do you know that? <laughs> uh, I'll go into it afterwards. <laughs> But it's Rick O'Lee, the pilot of that shiny silver ship from Episode One, and he's got this whole squad with him, and they're going to face off with Dark Vader. I said Dark Vader like a child. That's cool, um, though. <laughs> and they go into battle with him, and Rick O'Lee gets like this hero's death. You know, like he just gets to go out swinging. It's so great. Like if you uh, are a fan of prequels, if you're a fan of Star Wars, definitely recommend it. I mean, I just spoiled who dies in it, but and I spoiled a bunch of the other stuff in it, but it's. Like, you know, when Clone Wars came on and they would every once in a while have those episodes where you're just like, oh, that makes the prequels so much cooler now that I know about this. Or, the, you know, like they're sort of able to connect things without changing anything that's in the text and just sort of add new stuff to it. that you are like, that's so badass. And so now that Rick O'Lee gets to come back and have like this hero moment after Empire Strikes Back, for me, uh, that's amazing. Like, that's great Star Wars comics. Uh, and it's sort of like the promise of what these uh, 
Marvel this like this era of Marvel Comics sort of promised that they were going to do in continuity stuff that sort of falls in between the raindrops. Right. Uh, and that's what this is. It's great. Like uh, a big fan of it. Uh, Darth Vader. This one that I'm talking about is number four, but all of them so far, one, two, three, and four have been, been great. And there was a big gap because of the pandemic. Right. So I love it when they fertilize the expanded universe. Yeah. When they just take something and, Throw a little bit of love at it, and it becomes something much bigger than it was originally intended, which is weird you should mention this, because I've been on a Raphael Kayanon kick. I love this guy's work, and I have to be honest, I didn't really experience it as it was coming out. Uh, This is a, a retroactive thing just because we had Roy on, and I was... Uh, researching and, and, and just going through all my stuff to see what Roy works I could possibly talk about in the five minutes that he gave us. Um, and I stumbled upon um, Conan the Adventurer that he did with Raphael Kianan. And this book is so smart because Roy was the man who wrote Conan for Marvel in the 70s. And this came out 20, 30 some years later. This is the 90s one? Yeah. And what Conan the Adventurer is, Roy goes back to his original run on Conan and tells you what happened between events. It's, it's amazing. Because those early stories, those Conan stories are – well, not, I'm just speaking for myself. They're, they're as fresh in my mind today as they were when I originally read them. And now Roy's saying, oh, remember when Conan went down that street? This is what happened. And the book did not last long. I think it may be 14, 15 issues. Um, as Roy said, there was a problem because Raphael couldn't do the entire run and they put some, they put John Watkiss on the book and the fans just didn't like it. And then when Kayanan came back, it was too late. So you didn't get a long run out of this, but what exists is amazing. I mean, I'm reading these issues nice and slow because uh, he's not dead, but the spirit of Barry Windsor Smith is flowing through Raphael. There are double page spreads that I am not exaggerating. I spent maybe 20 minutes just looking at the artwork. Guys in the thick of it and bodies coiled together and people fighting and, and uh, architecture in, in the background. And you have uh, dudes falling off parapets and ramp. Like it's crazy detailed, but it's not excessively so it doesn't it's not a detriment to the to the stories is uh i guess what i'm saying but roy just slaughters it and it was one of those things like why did i not read this and how did i well it was marvel in the 90s so there was a good chance that i would probably turn my nose up at it the first cover has um a foil deep uh, embossed cover. So it's like hokey 90s Marvel on the outside, on the inside. It's just, I think it's a it's a breathtaking piece of work. And foo on me for not buying it and reading it as it was coming out. It's just great. But that's, you just got me in that mindset when you said, you know, take a little seed, plant it in the past and maybe put a little bit of water on it today and you see what you make out of it. And that's what yeah. Roy, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what Roy did. I feel like there was a, we looked at Conan the Adventurer in my. Uh, I was telling you guys last time I came on. I'm on like a, a 
virtual studio now that the main studio is closed down. So me and a bunch of other commerce guys a couple days a week get together and just like have Google Hangouts on. And we were digging into Conan the Adventurer. We found it by way of uh, – because well, Ramon uh, Villalobos is working on like a, a fantasy book. And so he's been digging into like all sorts of Conan stuff and sort of like just looking at you know like influences um, – and but then we saw that Brett Blevins had done this Conan cover that none of us had ever seen before, and it was one of those Conan the Adventurer covers, um, and it was so beautiful. We just saw the line art of it, and then because it was the '90s, we pulled up the like what the print version was, yeah. and they <laughs> just yes. one of the grossest coloring jobs I've ever seen in my life. Like they just really took a shit on it. What a bummer! Uh, yeah. But yeah, the lines on that very nice. I would love a page of that original art if it exists. And so I've been hunting down Kayanan work. And unfortunately, uh, I'm reading this Magic the Gathering Ice Age book from uh, Acclaim. Well, that's not Acclaim. It's uh, Armada. Remember when Acclaim had, got real big balls and they, they made the Armada imprint? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, reading is is a very malleable term because I'm not exactly reading the comic. It's it's the The story's horrible. And there's, it's one of those instances when you get a guy in to write comics who has no conception of how to write comics, but he thinks, okay, more words equal better. There, there's a ton of captions and expositions, and it, the, the story is almost non-existent. But the Raphael Kayanan artwork is wonderful. Not as good as the Conan the Adventurer stuff, but it's still pretty damn great. And um, I think it's inked by Rodney Ramos. Let me see. I got it right here. That wouldn't surprise me. When's it from? Uh, yeah, Rodney Ramos. This is nine. Actually, it's ninety-five. Yeah, hmm. and you got a free magic card in every issue. Some tokens in another. So uh, Michael Kaluta covers. So I mean, worthwhile to own. But the story is just—it's nonsensical, you know. And I'm a big fan of magic, and I'm just like, yeah, you're just throwing things together. Were the magic cards like exclusive, or was it just a random ass card? No, random ass cards. Like I got a bone shaman, and the they're from Ice Age, and so huh. the majority of them are useless unless you get a jester's cap. It's like okay, uh, but yeah, so the, you know, a little freebie with the with the comic to to get you to buy it and uh, come for the free card, stay for the Raphael Kiana artwork, <laughs> basically. So. My plan for this episode was to make David giddy because I would introduce him to a work from, I would say, maybe his favorite comic book creator, living, anyway. You know David loves Matt Wagner. We all love Matt Wagner, right? He's a master manipulator. I don't think anyone familiar with the man's work would find anything to argue uh, about that claim. And this run that I'm going to talk about, the first eight issues of this run anyway. Sometimes, well, it doesn't sometimes, uh, more than often it falls by the wayside because whenever somebody throws out Matt Wagner, there are the things for which Matt Wagner is known. Grendel, Mage, right? Those are the big names. As I was putting together the images for the Patreon uh, Cover a Day project, I was throwing up a bunch of Topps comics, and those comics featured Zorro. Yeah, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, it's been a minute since I've read Matt Wagner's Zorro. I'm going to read him again. I got to pat myself on the back and say, hey, that was a very good decision because it reminded me 
what a wonderful run he had on Dynamite's Zorro. The thing is so comprehensively orchestrated and masterfully, chef's kiss, defined. He he lays it all, like if you have never read a Zorro comic or have seen anything involving this character and you read only the first eight issues of Matt Wagner's Zorro run, you will be, well, chances are far greater, you will become a Zorro fan. Uh, he details the major and the minor chords in the formative years, Diego de la Vega. You'll fall in love with it because, and you'll realize that inserting Zorro into the Batman mythology, as they have done over the many decades of creators working on Batman, there's a reason why they insert Zorro into the mythology, because our man in Gotham ain't got nothing on Zorro. It's just a bigger city with more outlandish antagonists. The mythology of Zorro is so freaking close to Batman, it made perfect sense that the Waynes went to see a Zorro movie because Batman is, in a sense, Zorro. I'll tell you why. This is this was written in, I think it was released in 2012. It's Zorro 1 to 8, but there's a trade paperback around called Trail of the Fox. And they also call it Zorro Year One, which seems kind of uh, bombastic in light of Batman Year One being the masterwork that it is. Let's just call this Zorro Year One. But it stands head and shoulders uh, with that book. I'm not saying it is in every respect as good as Batman Year One. But it wouldn't look at its shoes while Batman Year One was talking. Let's just put it that way. It's, it's a wonderful work. It was illustrated by Francesco Francavilla. Yes. Adriano Lucas on color art. It was inspired by the novel by Isabel Allende. Matt Wagner also does art directing on this. So it, let's be honest. It was a younger Francavilla who may not have been as cocksure as the Francavilla today. So Matt may have nudged him in terms of the layout. There are panels that you would swear Wagner drew. But they're filtered through the Francavilla lens, so it's it's a it's a communion, uh, a uh, a commingling of talents. Let's just say. So over the course of eight issues, all of which are narrated by Diego's brother Bernardo, uh, his milk brother, and we all know what a milk brother is, right? No, you don't know what a milk brother is. I mean, My, come on, a milk milk brothers are two two infants that were nursed by the same woman. Okay. Not necessarily their mother. In this case, it wasn't. Eskimo brothers, but for babies. I don't even think we can say Eskimo anymore. Oh, shit, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's staying in. Tony's a jerk. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm canceled. Sorry, everybody. Nah, never, never. We had, it was fun while it lasted. Bernardo's mother was a servant to the De La Vega matriarch. And she didn't have uh, all the opportunity to nurse her child. So she let her, her uh, I, handmaiden, you can call it, uh, nurse both babies. So that's therefore their, their milk brothers. But it's important, I think, to note that the Diego's parents didn't treat their staff like anything other than family. These weren't typical servants like go to your quarters or, you know, whip them or, or push them around when they're 
they're uh, in the way the, the typical servant treatment that we see in in all uh kinds of uh pop culture stuff so bernardo is not of spanish stock now remember this is alta california time of spanish occupation and the de la vegas were considered spanish nobility so diego was afforded far more opportunities in life than bernardo but beautiful soul that diego was he would include his buddy in everything if diego went to school and learned how to read and write and mathematics and science he would come home and teach bernardo everything he learned so bernardo was uh, indigenous and again not too many opportunities in that time period but diego elevated him so bernardo is in a sense the alfred to diego's bruce wayne in a lot of respects passes everything on to him he learned at school uh so bernardo received high levels of education and life experience that not typically available to his people there's no small amount of irony in the fact that bernardo narrates diego's tale because bernardo had this soul-scarring point in his young life he doesn't speak bernardo doesn't utter a single word because the last thing his mother said to him was don't say a word be quiet and and i'll, and I'll get to that so the narrative ping-pongs between diego's formative years and his present day altercations with this scumbag spanish army sergeant gonzalez he's corrupt as hell brutal man he serves the alcalde right and what the alcalde says goes so you have this this um serviceman who enacts the will of the alcalde and when taxes are due you got to pay your damn taxes and so there was a local townsperson that was complaining that you know excessive taxes i can't pay this and gonzalez has his tongue cut out which is bad but it gets worse and then he makes fun of the dude by with the way he speaks post extraction they're in a bar and and gonzalez is is busting on this guy like making goofy mouth noises and you know he had a, a beautiful young uh senorita whipped because her father couldn't pay his taxes and the reasoning for for whipping the the young girl was he said so now every time her father sees her scars he'll remember to pay his taxes he's a very nice guy this is the guy you want in your corner. But Diego's mother, Regina de la Vega, was not of Spanish stock. She was mestizo. She was a warrior woman uh, from the Tongva tribe. And she was known as the daughter of the wolf, a very take-care-of-business type woman. Uh, she fought against the Spanish, and she was wounded on the battlefield. And who do you think it was? that saved her on the battlefield. Oh, it's not a stretch to assume that it was Diego's father, Alejandro. He was a captain in the Spanish army, so, you know, encountered this beautiful woman wounded. So he nurses her back to health and he falls in love with her and mommy loved daddy very much. And then Diego came along. Okay. Their adver adversaries turned lovers. And it's from his mother that Diego derived his sense of justice. Now, there's a little bit of hoodoo involved in this because when Diego was 12 years old, 
his mother, unknown to Alejandro, took the boy and Bernardo. Where Diego goes, Bernardo goes. It's the it's amazing the companionship these these two kids come gentlemen have, right? So uh, Regina takes Diego and Bernardo to see her mother, White Owl. Her mother's a shaman, right? And she sets the boys out on a spirit quest. Get they go out into the into the countryside, no provisions, no protection. You got to survive. The great spirit will 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 speak to you and you'll come back and you'll be the man you're supposed to be, right? Um so Bernardo goes out and he returns to the village a week later. Uh, he bonds with a horse and he adopts the qualities of the animal, strength, loyalty, endurance, everything that's, that's uh, applicable to a horse. But there's no Diego. Diego doesn't come back. Like, what the hell? And after 12 days, Diego stumbles back into the village and he got bit by a rattlesnake. The kid's almost dead. He's delirious and he's, and he's, he's beside himself. He's like, oh, I failed my spirit quest. I suck. The white owl cures what ails him. And he's telling this story. He's like, yeah, every night I was making a campfire for myself and I noticed something, you know, in the bushes and it was a fox. And and it kept happening. Every night I would just sit down and, and make myself warm and I'd see these two beady eyes in the woods and it was a fox. And it, it, it just, this thing was always there every night. But then... I got bit by the snake during the day and I could have sworn that I saw the fox during the daytime. And like, you know, if you know the, the habits of fox, foxes, they're nocturnal. They don't really come around people or uh, uh, populated areas during the day. They, the night is their thing, right? And White Owl says, that fox saved you. That's your totem now. You have to, you have to adopt the the qualities of the fox, the cleverness. You have to hide in the day and act during the night. The sense of justice and the the desire to end oppression hasn't impacted Diego to the point where he adopted the Zorro mantle yet. But the seed is planted, right? And so he gets his sense of honor from his dad. Alejandro, who eventually becomes Alcalde. And unlike the, the, the Alcaldes before him, Alejandro sees the position as an opportunity to actually help people and treat everyone with respect and compassion, not a, an opportunity to fleece the population and gain power through corruption. But the position requires a lot of his time and energy. So uh, Alejandro goes away on duties uh, fitting the Alcalde, and the the De La Vega estate is attacked in the middle of the night by a group of pirates. They're bored. They're lustful. They got nothing to do. Let's go hit the mainland and uh, kill people and rape them, obviously, because that's what happens. They barge into the De La Vega estate. Um, now, remember, Regina's a warrior woman. She's very good with the sword. She eviscerates most of the pirates, but unfortunately, she dies from her wounds in Diego's arms. But Bernardo has it worse because his mother is like, get out of here. She hears the people. She hears the doors being broken down. She's like, get out of here. You, you, go, go. Don't say a word. Just be quiet. Just please don't say a word. And he gets under the bed. So the pirates barge into the room and they gang rape his mother 
on the very same bed under which Bernardo is hiding, and they kill her. He hears his mother being violated and murdered, and the kid's under the bed. The, I can't imagine what that experience could do to a, a, a fragile psyche like a, a child. So the last thing his mom said to him is like, don't say a word. And he doesn't. He does not utter a word from then, from there forward. Uh, but you got to give it up for Bernardo. The guy has the, the, the intestinal fortitude. He doesn't desert his friends. Uh, Diego, he's, he's his constant companion. And Diego's damn good with a sword at, from a young age. So daddy teaches him swordsmanship and he goes into it thinking, all right, I'll, I'll show this kid something and, and he'll get butt hurt and hopefully he'll come back for, for lesson number two. But Diego beats his father. Lesson one, he knocks the sword right out of dad's hand and the father's like, holy crap, this is, this is pretty good, right? So Diego's a voracious reader. He just wants to learn about everything. And since fencing is Diego's, is on Diego's list of things he loves, um, he devours this book, a treatise on the subject by a master swordsman, Miguel Escalante. And when Diego's father sends uh, the boy to Barcelona to learn, because Spanish nobility have money and it's not cheap. So he he has the wealth in order to do this. He sends his, his uh, son and Bernardo back to the homeland to learn. And who do you think he studies under? Miguel Escalante, the master swordsman. And it's cool because Miguel initiates him into a secret society. Oh. Yes. La Justica. There's this group of... of uh, they're they're basically the Spanish Justice League, and they they want to uh, stamp out injustice and oppression, and they do it on the sly. They wear masks, and so Diego's in Barcelona, right, uh, learning and and cultivating his intelligence and his stature. And Bernardo's got nothing to do because he's a, a servant, and they treat him like crap when he gets there. He's used to it. So while Diego's in school, Bernardo is wa- wandering the streets of Barcelona, and he stumbles upon a gypsy area. And the gypsies take him in. As, you know, they're disenfranchised, as is he. They they get it. And so he bonds with the gypsies, and one day uh, Diego has nothing better to do. So Bernardo takes him to see the gypsies. And while Diego's there, he notices this beautiful gypsy girl. Like, he's captivated from sight one. And the... Uh, the military men start pawing at this gypsy girl and it gets to the point where, I mean, they're stepping way over the line and Diego saves her, uses the whip that he always seems to have, um, gets the girl out of there. She gives him a kiss. It's love at first sight or first save. The, the girl's rooted out. Uh, I guess the, the, the soldiers um, complained and the girl is whipped and she doesn't survive. She dies. And then Diego's like, this is not right. I have to do something about this. I can't stand to see uh, injustice and oppression like this. And that's when they initiate him into La Justica and he takes the the mantle of Zorro. They train him. He learns about chemistry. He's got a a pseudo-utility belt of all these things, flashbangs and smoke grenades and that's when he takes the the code name Zorro 
after the totem that saved his life during the spirit quest. And he does the alter ego thing, too. He passes himself off as this foppish Spanish gentleman. He wears pastels and hats with little fuzzy dangly things on them. And he looks, to all intents and purposes, as an effete man. But he's on the flip side, he's this scourge of injustice at night. Like, this guy is phenomenal with a sword. He's got Robin Hood in him. He takes money and armaments destined to bolster the the, the uh, efforts of this entirely corrupt military regime. And he takes all this stuff and gives it to the poor. Like, how could you not love a guy like this? It's entirely altruistic. He he has no desire to do anything but help people. They're underneath the, the De La Vega estate and they find gold. Chunks, massive reservoirs of gold. And what does he do? He takes all that money and he funnels it into his war on crime. So he's rich. He has gadgets. He has an Alfred. Like, how do you not draw the line from Zorro to Batman? It's blatant. It, it This thing is a whirlwind tale. Everything about it is masterfully conceived and executed. Like, I was, I read it when it was coming out, and I, but I forgot just how good it was. And Frank Avia's art is absolutely perfect for the story. It's earthy and rustic, and there's this gritty charm in every stroke. Like, I value this series very, very highly. If if you're not a fan of characters cast in the pulp mold, I would strongly, strongly suggest reading this run. I bet you it makes your future self more receptive to the genre. Uh, it's just, it, it's so captivating. It's like, it plays out like a, a movie serial. Every issue, I don't know how Wagner approaches his craft, but it seems like he covered, like everything was done out on paper before he 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 entered into that collaboration with Frank Avia. The first issue segs beautifully into the second, and it's just like this organic development of this child who has seen a lot of bad shit and wants it to stop. And he becomes a champion of justice. It's amazing. You gotta read this. Did they ever put out like uh, Omnibus or like a big trade paperback or anything there's a trade for this yeah it's uh because frank avia goes away after issue eight to the book's uh, detriment yes but um it's called trail of the fox it's zorro year one trail of the fox Uh, you, you should be able to get it used for a song but it is it's masterfully done you you'll you the world will slip away when you start reading this thing I think but I'm going to give it a look. I read the uh, Zorro Django. That's exactly what I was going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's probably I the only Wagner that. Zorro I've read. Did you read that too? Yes. Yeah, it was great. And this it falls on right in line with that? Well, they're two characters cut from the same cloth, right? Yeah. Right on. Yeah, I'm going to give this a look. You got me. Well, I damn well should because <laughs> it's it's one of those things that's very much uh, – I think it should be on the shelves. Of of everyone who purports to love, uh, it, he may not be super powered. Neither's Bruce, but he is. He's the Spanish Batman. Yeah, take it. That's why I knew David didn't read it. So now he's got something to hunt for. You can get the issues for like a buck and change a piece. 
Well, they did put out a paperback omnibus too. I think that I think I'll go that way. I'll just get a big chunk. And later on in the series, he saves a, a padre who was uh, brutalized by Sergeant Gonzalez, and the padre becomes another of the the Zorro family who liquidates all the uh, the stolen arms and money and channels them into the 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 proper hands because Zorro can't do everything and he's not going to do it during the day so uh, he's got to play that role I could do it during the day. no he even does it with his father uh his father sends him a message when he's, he's in barcelona he's like you got to come back the estate's going to shit i don't have the money that i had i, I can't pay for your, your your tutelage anymore uh gonzalez and the alcalde and they're, they're just they're they're raping the land you got to come home it takes him a, a good year to get home ship and when he does, he plays the he puts on the, the the role, and the father's like, "What the hell did I raise?" And and Diego doesn't break up to a point. He plays he 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 wears the mask, and it's just it's an amazing amazing run. Uh, I had uh, volumes of respect and admiration for Wagner, but now having been reminded just what he could do with basically everything. And I, I haven't read anything that from Wagner that wasn't just uh, a, a wonderful experience. And this is more, this is along the same lines. It's just great. Just shut up and well, get it. Just, I pre-ordered it. The Omnibus comes out in January, paperback, 544 pages. So it's on the way. Oh, so they're doing 500 pages. That's more than, this was only, this was a 20 issue run. So no, that's yeah, that's probably yeah, that's that's in the ballpark. So yeah, it's yeah. it's it's amazing. Yeah, uh, what's the cover price on it? Uh, pre-order price is thirty bucks. It'll probably go down as it gets closer. I'm sure yeah. you can get it from discountcomicbookservice.com as well. Yeah, and you said jam. it it's solicited for January. Yep. Nice, all done in one one shot. And I like a paperback. And this is sacrilegious, but I like a paperback. Uh, more than I like a hardcover when it's that big. The hardcover is just so heavy, and I don't know. My, my weak little artist hands—they they start oh, to get you. sore when I'm sitting there. I know. <laughs> if I read a big book, I'm like, oh my, my thumbs hurt. I don't know. I'm soft. I have the uh, <laughs> I have a bunch of uh, dynamite omnibuses, and uh, they're all uh, wonderfully produced. Um, decent paper, you know, they're, they're, they're weighty. I, I have all the Warlord of Mars. I have the Dejah Thoris. Um, and, and it's nice because as Omnibus would tend to let you believe, right? You get a chunk of issues. Like I think there may be 15 issues more in each one. And you could just sit down and just at your leisure, just go through the, the run and it, they're great. I like the Marvel Omnibuses. The spines kill me. They're, yeah, they're, you can't. What do you mean? Do they crack? No, no. They're just they're too unwieldy. You can't sit in a recliner with a Marvel omnibus comfortably. That's what I'm saying. They hurt. You my got the pumps. thing digging in your leg, and I know yeah. first world problems, right? <laughs> but I when I I anything that can comes between me and escapism, if I got a a, a 10 pound book digging into my thigh that's going to push me back into the reality right where is, you know comfortable reading i always have with uh with max uh, from cheap graphic novels because he does crazy business with these giant hardcovers 
Like that's that's all his business. People love those things, and I'm always like, "Is there a paperback version? Can I get this in something smaller and less pages? That's going to be lighter." You know, but yeah, yeah. Something and- about the the permanence. I get that too. Like you want the sure archival. This is the the greatest version you could possibly own. But yeah, for reading, give me a comic. Yeah. And it, I see some of the page counts on these omnibuses, like 1,500. It's like it's yeah. nuts. And yeah. David and I uh, scooped up the Guardians of the Galaxy solo omnibus. And it's great. There's a ton of wonderful things in that book. But I have to be honest. I read more than one issue, and i got to put it back on the shelf because it's just too unwieldy. Um, I've seen there's like a, a stand you can get for your laptop. Yeah, that like you set it over yourself like a like a breakfast in bed tray, you know. I could see using that for an omnibus, just sort of like prop it up. But then you got to lay down. That seems a little too. I mean, at that point, you're just like that guy on uh, Key and Peele that's just ordering all the pizzas to his house. Yes, you know? like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I'm um, okay. We, you know, we're a big fan of Tashin, the publisher. Yeah. And whenever I see those editions that are released with a stand. The book comes with a stance like, how, how are you going to read that? Who, who, you're going to put it in, in the, in the great room of your home for people to see. It's, it's not a book anymore at that point. It's an object. It's, it's, it ceased to be the thing for which it was designed, something that can be read and enjoyed. And now it's an uh, entirely different object that needs a fucking brass stand to be d- properly displayed. It's just, I love them, but I think that, it runs counter to my thoughts on on the reading experience. One of my favorite things about the studio, uh, and like I told you guys, we shut it down a couple of, I guess, a month ago now. But we had a desk that was for guests. Like if somebody wanted to show up and draw, uh, there's like a main table where you could set up if you brought like a laptop or a, a tablet or whatever, and you just wanted to do work digital. But if you wanted to draw at a table. We had a table, but nobody was ever there drawing, so we always just used it as like a, a lectern for artist editions and giant books and stuff. And whenever somebody would get a new one of those, we'd just leave it in there and, and be able to like really peruse it. I mean, it had a light and a magnifying glass on it. You know, like it was the perfect setup for those gigantic books. Uh, and yeah, now I don't have a I don't have a place to go look at enormous books anymore. So I could clear off the kitchen table, which is never going to happen. Yep. <laughs> The same thing with the the Tash and Windsor McKay, the uh, little Nemo book. It's mm-hmm. beautiful and awesome and gigantic and fitting, befitting the source material in every possible way. But it's just too damn big. You need a table to read it, and it's like no, I. I it's so now it's an artifact. Yeah, right? yeah, completely but- get it. I definitely get I get caught up in it, and I definitely buy those things just because I'm like, well, at some point I'm going to want to look at this. Like I bought that gigantic Jim Lee Marvel thing they put out, and mm-hmm. I'm definitely getting the Jim Lee Artist Edition. And I just get I get swept up in the excitement of it all, and I'm like, I'm a, well, I'll look at this at some point. I will. Yeah, yeah it's like uh, what, what was uh, um, the Kramer Zergut number seven? Yeah. How the hell can you read that comfortably? <laughs> Yeah, it, it, the book becomes a coffee table at some point. I wonder what the reader reaction is on this. Because like, every time I talk about shit like this, I'm cr- I'm amazed that you guys are on my side. Everybody else, like, there's nothing better than an omnibus or a, a absolute, you know, like. Yeah. There's no downside to it. And I'm well, like, it, I don't know. 
it's it's the the uh, uh, American desire for a lot of content, <laughs> right? At, the big at, right. It, it, you, if you feed someone a bulk of stuff for not, let's be honest, not a whole lot of money. If you were if you uh, went issue by issue buying all those uh, things contained in most of the omnibuses, it would cost you. Uh, 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 it would be astronomical. Some of them you wouldn't be able to touch. So I, I understand that you're feeding, it's a buffet, right? You're, you're bellying up to the buffet. You're getting a whole massive plate of, of lo mein, yeah. right? So, and it's, you, you feel satiated at the end, but that doesn't, that's not the way it works with me. I, I'm not fussy about many things, but the reading experience I am because, um, yeah. if you shatter that, that separation between fantasy and reality. You're, you're taking me into Gotham City. Okay, I'm here. But Gotham City's not now digging into my thigh. Right. That breaks yeah, the illusion. It's not my shoulders. I, I love I, I love I love the concept. I love the idea of looking at my shelf and seeing all these thick tomes for, for like you said, the archival aspect of it for for context or research if 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 you're you know trying to if you're going to be a continuity wonk and well, actually someone into knowing every time Peter Quill said something and therefore you need every omnibus, but it's, it's, I don't look at omnibuses as I don't read my omnibus to read a bunch of issues at a time. I, I, if, if I feel, okay, you know, I mean, if I don't have the issue handy and I want to read an issue out of one of the two new teen Titans omnibuses behind me, great. I can go back and read one of my favorite Teen Titans issues, but that doesn't mean I'm going to read the next five after it in that same volume. Cause yeah, after a while, you know, you, your legs go numb. You, you, you just, you can't, you, you can't, they're not designed for long time reading, especially if you're the type of person who gets comfortable, depending on your vision, how close the book may need to be to you. It, it there's a whole bunch of shit, but it's, yeah. you know, there's no science behind it, but I mean, Omnibus over purpose. I think they're great, but I don't view them as something that, oh, I'm finally going to read this run. Not in that format, you're not. Yeah. yeah. You, you cannot eliminate the tactile experience of the act of reading. You can reduce it, but you there's no way to eliminate it. You have to reach out and touch that paper and turn it, right? You feel the paper. You see the color of the ink and the, and the, and the, the line work, and you feel the weight of the book on, on your body on your person i like to try and 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 pare that down to the the least bit of separation between me and the art or or i my my perceptions in the art and and if it's if there's that constant reminder that i'm i'm holding a thing it 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 runs counter to to my desires right so to me uh, I think like the optimal way to read that like omnibus type content is essentials showcases. Like I love those things so yeah. much. I'm so mad that they're that they're like discontinued. But I'm glad you know I was glad we had our time with them when we did. I was able to get basically everything I wanted, and like just that size. Like you get the same amount that's in an omnibus, uh, but also it's lighter. And also just as an artist, like to have all that stuff in black and white like just the line art and be able to study it that way. Uh, that's what an incredible value, you know, for 20 bucks or 15 bucks or however much those things cost. I told you guys one of the times I was on here that I'd never read the full 
Claremont run before, and so I've been reading through it in Essentials. And just like to like the first time I actually read the whole Claremont Burn run to have it just be like that crisp black and white, like exactly that John Byrne Terry Austin artwork, like amazing. What a treat. Dan, why the the Essentials and the showcases didn't catch on? Uh, well, I can guess it's because of the lack of color. But yeah. for the most part, if you want to see the art unfettered the way it w- originally was produced uh, before it hit the printers, uh, yeah, that's the way yeah. to do it. Um, well, like, it might just be something that's just – I mean there's like what, a few thousand people who draw comics who sort of like work in this field like this. And maybe everybody that was going to get those, you know, everybody that wanted the Kirby Lee run on Fantastic Four got the whole Kirby Lee run on Fantastic Four, you know. Because I hear those Epic Collections sell like crazy. The Epic Collections is nice too, but they're, they get a little weighty. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are, um, the Marvel Essentials. There's a, a, a stack of them that I will never, ever, ever, oh, I, and the showcases too, that I'll never get rid of because like the Man Thing volumes. You're getting the Mike Plug artwork, mm-hmm. the way it was on the board. Um, obviously they're not archival editions or, or like the IDW artist editions. They're, they're cleaned up, but still you, you, there's nothing between you and that black line work. And I love them. Like I have the Godzilla and the Conans and they're not going anywhere. You can yeah. print those things in color as much as you, you know, to your heart's content. You're not taking my, my OG black and whites not happening. And then the showcases, like there's just so many great Cubert ones and like, like the, the Russ Heath did the sea, what was the sea, uh, Seahawks? Sea devils. Sea devils. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like that shit's so crazy looking, you know, just like in black and white, just, you know, what a resource, what a cool format. It's very true. Very, very true. It is. Yes. Enemy Ace. Oh, oh a, stop. Yeah. That's a great yeah. show. Yeah. Holy crap. Like the, that early Taken where he's just like, looks like he's drawn it with the, a broken Sharpie. Yep. The Dis- uh, Disney, the DC House of Mystery volumes and the one of the ones, man, I'll fight you to the death. The uh, Amethyst? Oh, mm. yeah, nah, nah, not going anywhere. Never. They're just beautiful. But the, the only thing that, that the detriment to those essentials is they take up a lot of space too. So yeah. if you have 10 of them, there's an entire shelf right there. I went through and got all the – this is tangentially connected to that, but I got all the EC libraries uh, basically in the pandemic – like I was just like, you know, sitting at home bored and, and working and having, you know, like income. I was just like, let me get these things. And similarly, like the perfect size, the perfect format, all black and white, except for that mad volume. Um, and yeah, just like all like just being able to have all that stuff at my at my fingertips to be able to flip through and read, you know, eight page stories of the greatest artists ever in crisp black and white. Pretty great. A uh, couple of guys on the uh, Slack, our Patreon Slack floated the uh it, this question comes up uh every couple of years uh what was uh some of your regretful moments in selling comics the things that you parted with and you know the typical uh things come up but uh i believe i i went into this in the past i had like ed piscor the entire russ cochran ec library that's what I'm talking about. Right. The giant slipcase hardcovers, yeah. the three. Yeah, yeah. The, okay. I had the entire thing. The the, uh, the EC books. I had the Mad books. I had the another rainbow um, uh, 
Bark's books, the Donald mm-hmm. Duck and Uncle Scrooge, and those things took up half of the room. Yeah. And I sold them over over a period of time. I got more than I paid for them, but so what? It's only money. And now if I could push the buttons on the control unit in that time machine and go back and slap myself in the face for doing it, <laughs> I, I would do it in a second. Um, yeah. it, there was no logical reason why I sold them other than you see something in an enclosure every day. It's there. You see it. You you, you enter this room. The Russ Cochran Library was gigantic. You cannot miss it. And it would be there, and I'd be like, oh, man, those things take up so much space. Like, I'm, I, I have to put – I need space for my, my new books. I'm, I'm getting all these this new stuff in that I, – I, so I'm, I'm crowding myself out. This was at the old house. And so I said, all right, we'll see what they're going for. And I saw that they were probably double or – more what I paid for them, so I said, "All right, I'll make a couple bucks." What did I what spend you, that? What were you paying for them originally? Did you get them for like the eighty bucks, or, the, or did I, you get them for cheaper? No, I bought them when they came out. Yeah, so so what, that was like eighty, ninety bucks. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I remember dragging my parents in New York City up to uh, Forbidden Planet uh, from Port Authority, so that's a haul. And I dragged my mom and dad up there because I had to get the new. Uh, Uncle Scrooge collection. And then we had to drag it all the way back, <laughs> and it's like so. All of that effort in in obtaining these things, all yeah. of the joy that I derived from them, is all gone. It, whatever profit I made on them, I don't even remember what I spent the money on. Something's probably stupid, probably hookers and blow, right? So, and, and think of the the nonsense comics that you have sitting in their in their place now. You know, like. Right, just just like some stuff that you, you're like, oh, I got that, I read it, it's fine. There's a, a a Star Wars collection that's of the the newspaper strips that he put out. That is, I didn't get that one. I got all the EC, uh, except for like the pre New Direction stuff. Like I didn't get the the Golden Age stuff. Um, but that Star Wars one, it's like at least five hundred dollars every time I look at it, and that's a little too crazy. How you doing, Tom? Real good. How, how have you been? Not bad. Not bad. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, c- considering you know just everything else. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know it, it, it's all relative. You know, and, and compared to what, what what others are dealing with and 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 how life is going for everyone. Uh, yeah. No, I mean I. If working from home is all I really have to complain about right now, and whether or not the world's going to end in November, it, that's mm-hmm. then I'm I'm doing okay. Yeah. Well, we're all in the same boat. My, my my day was made better, and I know we're still waiting on Tony, so this isn't in the show yet. But um, my Not day back. was made better because uh, oh, great! Because uh, yesterday when I was at the shop, I picked up the uh, free comic book day version of uh, Jack Kirby: The Epic Life of the King of Comics, and it oh, is so fantastic. The expert alone is fantastic. I can't wait to get my hands on this book. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you were able to get it because I did wonder like the whole you know, free comic book day going away. Free I wondered like summer. How, yeah. How, how many of these are going to end up getting to sh- Cause it's kind of like, okay, so I'm supposed to order the same numbers I order for free comic book day when there's not going to be a thousand yeah. people coming into my store. So I'm, I'm glad you were able to get a, get a hold of it. That, that, well, that's the, good. What I know. So, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's all summer long. It ends next Wednesday. And, and uh, basically in, instead of, Everybody, what would have happened at the first Saturday in May, instead of all the shops getting everything when they were supposed to, they're um, 
shops seem to be diamond seems to be shipping uh five or half a dozen of those books each week so instead of you going every saturday for something they're just my my shop has them on display with the new releases they they pull the um, they pull them for me so they're in my file but yeah every week you're going in as as long as you're you're going in every week to get whatever you're getting there are there were free comic books available throughout the summer free comic book summer yes yeah 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 the timing actually worked out well you know um cuz like it was just last week was Jack's 103rd birthday so like you know people you know people kind of had Kirby on the brain so then it's like you go you go into the store the next week and it's like oh look at that perfect timing perfect. Yeah. yeah 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 what's in the like i've got the whole book what was in the free comic book day issue like what what chapter was it you know it's kind of hilarious it starts i think it starts at like the very beginning of the book maybe a little after but i think it's the very beginning of the book and it goes right to, to like where he meets uh stan and then it's like it cuts off right before like stan starts acting like an asshole right. so yeah. it's like it's <laughs> like you know it's like oh meet stan lee oh hey you know whatever and then like i think the next page is like an ad for like another book they put out which was like how, how to make comics the stan lee way oh, <laughs> yep. so it's like, stan lee's so, how to draw comics <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like it was, the irony was like uh, amazing. Yeah, because when yeah, one that, thinks that, of all of the comics that Stan drew, uh, it's entirely fitting that he would have a. a book like I want. That. I want. I want my my, my Uncanny X Men two seventy five signed by Stan Lee because he had everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, X Men. You know, we published Stanley that shit. Got an Uncanny X Men three hundred signed by Stan Lee uh, when I was a boy because I was I was a little fool. I just thought it would be great. <laughs> now you're just thankful. The uh, the first panel is um, is is Jack saying that he was raised by the cinema and it's the uh, the Marx okay. Brothers. Okay, right. And, so it didn't go quite to the beginning. It's yeah, it's like Young Jack. And the last page is uh, the. The panels it, it's it's wrapping up um, the second issue of Captain America. Captain America. Bucky is taking on Hitler and uh, and 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 going and then um, but yeah at the top of the page Jack is telling Stan seems like everybody here is a relative but me and Joe and Stan says the only reason I call him Uncle Martin is because he's married to my cousin we're not really nothing so. yeah if 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 the, if the excerpt went one more page it would be. Uh, Stan Lee dancing around the office, playing the ocarina, uh, <laughs> slamming doors. Good old Stan. I think we should just run with this. this okay. Yeah, this sure. is good the way we're doing it. Um, if you're not paying attention, this man who recently joined us, uh, I'm going to throw a bunch of names at you. Godland, American Barbarian, Transformers versus G.I. Joe, GoBot, Satan Soldier, Fantastic Four, Grand Design, and, in case you haven't been paying attention, Jack Kirby, the epic life of the king of comics from 10 Speed Press, which is in comic shops now, excerpted for your perusal. So you get to pick up this thing gratis and realize, I need this in my life. Tom Scholey. It's been a yeah. minute since you've been here, but we needed to rectify. Yeah, it's it's really good just talking to you guys. Like like even if we weren't record, like it, it you know just with the time we're living in and stuff, it's like it just it feels really good to talk to you again. Oh, you're not kidding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this has become my solace. From mm-hmm. uh, Twitter is the scourge, and the podcast <laughs> is the solace. Uh, I I don't know where the balance is. I really don't. Um, it just seems like we're thrown into the, the, the hell pits every day and it 
you would think, okay, it can couldn't get any worse than yesterday, and then it does. Well, I, I, I think we we got into this whole like hobby as like escapism. So it's kind of like you know the need for escapism keeps getting greater and greater, and then we're sort of pushing the limits to how much of a burden can escapism carry. Right. Yeah. Yep. It's true. Well, also like what's what I like about this show and like this format is that it's a, it's not like a review show so you don't have to come on and talk about shit you didn't like you can just literally show up and just spend a couple hours just talking about stuff that you thought was great like a, like you guys never just go like you know it was shitty uh x-men this week and then talk about that for a half hour like yeah, you, who wants to hear that yeah race through that and then just spend a long time talking about how much you thought zorro by matt wagner was great right right tom i gotta ask you um your entire life, you've loved Kirby, <laughs> and now mm-hmm. you 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 create this testament to the man. Um, was there a moment or an instance in the creation of Jack Kirby, the epic life of the King of Comics, where, and it's going to sound a little silly, but this is my mindset, was there ever a moment where you felt the presence or guided in some way by the man we all love? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really, I mean, I, I don't see how you could do something like this and not, you know, when you're like, like I was just immersing myself in Kirby and, and you, you do sort of like conjure that person up. And I mean, I don't like, I don't think there's any kind of um, supernatural thing to, I think it's just like, you know, this, uh, you know, like, like we all have in our subconscious, like this, you know, uh, you know, those of us who know Kirby, you know, know his work, have this like, you know, very like, um, fully fleshed out idea of like who Kirby is and, and what, you know, what he's about. And, um, when you're like really, you know, like working on something and, and like getting into that mindset, it, it does, it does sort of come out the same way, like, you know, when you're having a dream, you know, you can sort of meet somebody or something and, and they're like, you know, they're in such like vivid detail that if, if you were like awake, you probably couldn't, you know, you couldn't consciously conjure up the way that you can in a dream. And and, you know, just the creative process when you're really in it, it you do sometimes go in, it, like cross over into that weird like zone of like, you know, the communal uh, consciousness or, or something. So, I mean. Yeah, so I mean, it's not silly at all. Like it, it, uh, it definitely happened. I, I didn't necessarily expect it to happen, but yeah, there, you know, there, yeah, there were times where, yeah, I did, I did uh, feel like I was in the presence of of Jack Kirby. Nice. I, I don't mean to paint the picture of like uh, we've seen it, like Trump sitting at the the desk signing something, and Jesus is behind him with his hand <laughs> on his shoulder. Like that would be you and Kirby. Uh, yeah, but, or, or uh, Charles Manson. Yes, yeah. well, that, you're right. But, Love that one. Yeah, but so you you cannot invest as much energy and and just chunks of your 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 consciousness into a project focused on one individual, one overpowering over individual that has guided the art form from from day one without at least feeling a uh, a bond or a kinship with the, that person because i mean 
there's a you put a lot of sweat and toil into this for not just you know the period it took you to to make the book. I mean, this is your entire existence, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's I mean, it's it really is like decades in the making because like just all the um, study that I did of Kirby, like all these years, just like you know being curious about him and then wanting to sort of uh, you know learn to do things and think like him. It 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 really was like preparing me for this. And, um, I mean, you know, I'm sitting there drawing a picture of Jack Kirby drawing a picture. Like it does, it does become almost like autobiographical after a certain point, you know, like, um, you know, uh, there, there are like points where, where like our stories intersect. Right. Yes. The, the veil between, um, art and reality is, it does get very thin at times. Um, so was that uh, one of the reasons why you chose to render Kirby in a different style than everybody else in the book? Like the, the, the big eyed, um, more expressive, more character like Kirby stands out and it's I, like I, an icon. I, yeah. Yeah. Icon. I, yeah. And yeah, you, you, uh, like as a reader get it like immersed, like you become him, like you, you get, you know sort of drawn into into that and um you know that that you know that that you're seeing the world through his eyes and then and then the world that you see is 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 the world that he sees so kirby's an avatar for the reader it, completely an avatar yeah and and um i mean th th that whole idea is something I'd, I'd first heard about from scott mcleod's understanding comics he talks about that like sort of the simpler your main character is or the simpler a character is the easier it is, the less of a barrier there is for identification. And this was just, you know, this kind of pull, pulls you right in. Even like, um, just from like a graphic design point of view, uh, just having that, um, you know, that design of Kirby on the cover, like you see it from across, you know, the Barnes and Noble or whatever, like it, it, it uh, you know, th th there's like a hypnotic force or something at, at work with it. Yeah, you think about like that versus like the Mark Evanier book, uh, which is just like uh, more collagey from across the room, you know, like it's definitely more like you see exactly what it is from across the room for sure. I think about like, I sort of, cause I read it. I love that. Oh yeah. 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 That big mass of the Kirby with the, I think that's yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I sort of think about that, your book and the Evan, your book. And then uh, who was it that wrote the play? Oh yeah. Um, um that's the right. Fred Van yeah. Lente, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those like sort of like the uh, the three different uh, media, like the three different formats of like the Kirby story. You know, mm -hmm. the, yours is definitely like you sort of just put it out and have the definitive comic book story of Jack. Kirby. It's pretty awesome. Oh, thanks. And like just like the the curation of the stories and the like the editing is almost like like you're putting together a documentary right like mm -hmm. just deciding where to put stuff and like where this thing fits in and how it how it fits together with this and like drawing parallels and stuff yeah, it's, it's a great job I, I oh, really thanks it's strange the way the world works when uh last week was it uh jack's 103rd birthday right and i when i saw it flash by on the twitter i immediately thought of you uh, because there, there's very little separation between you and Kirby in my mind. And the, it just hit me like, Hey, we haven't spoken to Tom in, in quite a while. And then 
that led to this and now we're we're we're, we're sharing ideas and uh, experiences it's just as i don't discount anything that's why when you said uh it's not a supernatural element about the the presence of jack i like to think that maybe there's a chance that something like that is possible mm-hmm. because when i expire i'm really hoping that i can right a wrong and finally meet jack in some mm-hmm. form because i had multiple chances or opportunities over you know in the past and for whatever reason i just didn't do it uh laziness uh fear of you know you never you're never supposed to meet your your, your idols right mm-hmm. and uh because they may let you down um so I, I never, I never signed the the contract on that, and and I've been, I, I've been struggling ever since because like, why wouldn't you want to be in the presence of of greatness like that? But yeah, he, Tom, did you? Hmm. Did you ever meet him? I I didn't, and and uh, you know, uh, different from Vince's story. I mean, I I only became sort of aware of like jack kirby and the enormity of jack kirby after his death so it was never it was never even a consideration of like i just wasn't i wasn't aware of him uh at that point um so like there was just no no chance of me ever ever meeting him and yeah i would be i'm sure haunted by uh you know if 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 i did have an opportunity and somehow missed it or passed it up or so I, i i would be haunted by that but no i i i never got to meet him and i think of that when i do you know when when you get sort of the opportunity to uh you know meet you know one of your you know quote unquote heroes or whatever i i uh you know i keep that in mind and uh you know and and think about that that other perspective of like oh well what happens if if that person's no longer here and you're like oh you know why didn't why didn't i right right it's 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 difficult to articulate the uh the impact that that man's work had on me um when when you're younger the i don't think your brain is is formed uh or and certainly not your experience the to the level that allows you to express what something is making you feel uh and when when i had the the fantastic four plop down in front of me and i saw the art and it hits you on a level that i don't think you can uh formulate into these these clunky little things we call words uh just the power inherent in the work and just the 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 see i'm trying to do it now as an adult but back then i was like the equivalent of holy cow um Mm -hmm. those other comics i looked at don't look like this what about this makes it different than all that other stuff like donald duck is this is not donald duck uh, the, you know, this is not Spider-Man. I don't understand this, but it's it's doing something to me. I can feel something that I don't feel with any other comic book from anyone. Like, th- that's Jack's work to me. And and when people tiptoe around the subject, you'll, you'll get a person like, yeah, I respect his talent, but you know what I mean? Like, he's okay. <laughs> Unacceptable. <laughs> it's just, you, 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 you cannot just call Kirby okay. It's, it's, it's like saying in the beginning there was the word and the word was bad. It's, it does not compute because the man defined the language of comics and everything in his wake. We're beholden to Jack for almost everything. It's not 
hyperbole, right? Yeah, and and I mean that's that's what he was sort of drawing from. He he reached a point where he was just pulling from some you know deep level of like the human psyche that that is like below words, you know this like you know this like essential stuff that that he was pulling out, and it wasn't like he wasn't intellectualizing or or you know going about it in like a methodical way. It was just like once once he that switch flipped it 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 just came out so yeah it is um it it does sort of like defy um you know analysis you know even right. even though i spent uh, like you know my my adult life trying to analyze it it it, it there it's it's magic yeah he's he's the ragged prophet he's the 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 brooklyn um muse that of the streets We've read Streetwise, right? I mean, Jack, mm-hmm. Jack was salt of the earth, but that man was operating on a far different level than everybody around him. He, he may not have been cognizant of it. He made that because when you're, when you're, um, thinking along those lines, you, you don't question, like, that's just your programming. That's the way you're, you're constructed. So you don't know any other way to to think and act but I, I i swear i mean alien intervention i think um J- jack was a plant from another planet to, <laughs> to, to to guide us yeah i get so bummed out when i think about streetwise or like uh, in the days of the mob or these ones where it's just like oh we just didn't have enough money so there's no more of that you're just like what how much could it possibly have cost you know like what yeah <laughs> there like, wasn't kickstarter back then you know like, like spirit world some... spirit world is yeah, awesome exactly. Yeah, and and totally revolutionary. Um, and there, I think that was part of the reasons why they didn't catch on was because they were so different, different format, different content, just just out far out of the realm of what everybody was used to. That yeah. it was like a, a a culture shock, like a sea change. And they just didn't catch on. Yeah, we we are lucky to get what we got from Jack Kirby because it's this enor- like this impossibly enormous body of work, but it, it is like, we want more, you know? Like, yeah. it- I remember the first time I saw Jack's rendition of the turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, um, uh, when they published it, I, I, I forget, it may have been a Jack Kirby collector or, or one of those two Morrow's books. And, uh, I think it was published either not l- long after he died or maybe maybe a couple of years before and when you live a life in in reverence to an artist and you you think you've seen everything and then somebody puts down a a, a drawing of jack d- doing the turtles it's like how did i not see this <laughs> yeah what a, what a match made in heaven too like oh, jack yeah. and the turtles yeah well kevin and peter were were genuflecting at the same altar oh, that absolutely. that we do mm-hmm. yeah yeah um and it's nice to know that his name has some some cash to it because uh i'll float the name out among my students and more more let's say 75 percent of them know who he is now it may just because of the whole marvel movie thing and yeah all this stuff was created by this guy not the guy that you think created it and uh sorry i can't let that go but um and and you say jack kirby and they they're aware that maybe they're not experienced in his work but at least they're aware that there's this figure that has 
uh, cast a very, very uh, long and dark shadow over the, the com- well, not dark, I shouldn't say that, a very long shadow over the comic industry because he set the, set the pace, man, forever. I yeah, I mean, I think... Oh, well, no, I, I, I think, you know, word has has gotten out and it's getting out. Like, I think, yeah, like the, the you know, like younger generation kind of, um, you know, you know, they 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 sort of have an understanding of of Jack that if you go back like another generation, it just was, you know, it, you know, we just didn't have like the, the means of transmission that we have now. Right. Dap, what were you going to say? It, it's for me, I. I always I remember the house ads where Jack's back when he came back to Marvel and and, and was doing Captain America and uh, I remember the superpowers line at DC and when I was buying comics off the stand it wasn't necessarily and and of course I I knew about the the lawsuit and destroy your duck and I I was because the fanzines I was familiar with with Kirby and what he was doing but because I'm young and stupid I don't. I, it wasn't like I didn't see Jack's name on a book or look in the credit box and see that Jack was doing something. Okay, yeah, I got to buy this. That, that that wasn't my way of thinking, uh, especially for Jack. Jack was somebody who, of course, I knew what he did, but I wasn't. I guess I wasn't able to comprehend what he, the, the things I was looking at, the the lines I was looking for, the characters I wanted, how how I expected to see them. Um, of course, artists were, you know, used Kirby style, but their work didn't necessarily look like what Jack was doing. So I was drawn to those things, and and um, you know whether it's whether it's Byrne or whether it's it's Kevin McGuire or it's Dan Jurgens or Mazzucchelli. There are certain artists who I just I expect certain things from and, and obviously you know you're going to get something bombastic with with jack but i think if anybody wants to even say i i i, I kind of bring it back to the whole beatles thing where even if i, I don't want anybody it, it, you look like a fool if you're trying to be a contrarian and say no jack jack couldn't draw or i didn't like jack's work it, it you can you, you can not if jack isn't floating your boat that's fine but you can't just dismiss it like just like if beatles isn't your thing that's fine but you can't say that you have to appreciate you have to understand the importance to what 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 they did and what came after and and jack, i mean jack's obviously far beyond anything he did on a page but um i'm, I'm one of those fools who it's it, it's just like i it wasn't until much later that i that i recognized the magic that was on the page you know there's like a moment where like right after something is kind of like in vogue. There's like a moment where it's like completely out of style. And that's kind of like the worst moment for things. It's like, like just, and so there was like the period that you're describing is kind of like the period that this like short moment in time where Jack's work was considered, you know, dated or of a certain era and that, and that the world's moved on. But that period historically didn't last very long. And it's like once, once you get out of that period for any kind of like fashion or, or anything, once you get out of that period, it becomes classic for the rest of time. You know, there's yeah. only that, you know, moment, you know, even like just thinking about some of the fashions and things we yep. grew up with that were like cringe worthy because they were just, you know, five years in the past or three years in the, or 10 years in the past. And then now they're just, they're here forever. It's kind of like Crocs. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're here forever. That's because they can't be destroyed. But Uh, one of the things that just boggles my mind, I've had a a constant um, back and forth with the the owner of the local comic shop, a very knowledgeable man. Um, And this is before I knew Tom. But uh, when Godland was coming out, I was all over it, obviously. And um, I was like, Dave, this is great. Did you read it? It's awesome. He's like, yeah, it's really good, but it's not going to sell. Uh, and and I, and I, what do you mean? He goes, comics crafted in the Kirby mold do not sell. And he had a beef against Joe Casey and Ladron's uh, cable run. He's like, yeah, it may look good, but I lost a lot of readers when when they came on the book. Uh, or when they they tried to do the the Kirby pastiche with with Cable, and uh, and it does not factor. I I can't wrap my head head around that. And obviously the man has a business and uh, you know needs to put food on his table, so he he's very aware of the the amount of comics he's moving. But it's his belief that Kirby, Kirby comics don't sell, and it that just when I when he first said it, it just staggered me because like how could they not? It's like, it's like tapping into an energy reservoir, a limitless energy reservoir. Um, it, it should foster excitement and, and energy and enthusiasm. And he said it it does anything but. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's like that's like data that that he sort of had, you know, from from his point of view for a specific period of time. Maybe he was right. Maybe he was wrong. Maybe he was right. But um, like the reasons weren't the reasons he thought they were or whatever. But, uh, you know, like, you know, the you know, these these guys, they kind of like their their life kind of depends on this stuff. So they have to, you know, go go by that kind of stuff. I think one thing that um, that I I, you know, came to understand is that when you do work in a Kirby mode, it can't even if you were to perfectly replicate it or perfectly synthesize it to the point where you could create, you know, new works that were um, new and, 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 but completely indistinguishable from Kirby. If, if you reach this sort of platonic idea, ideal of Kirby emulation, it still wouldn't quite work like the same thing because in your mind, you know, like, like if you have any understanding of comics history it creates like one extra layer like in your head where it's like it can't hit you in the gut like Kirby because your brain is kind of like, OK, I know Jack Kirby. This is a step removed from Jack. Kirby. Like it just creates this like this like one extra layer. So, like I mean, I don't know if that kind of thing like factors into sales or factor, but like it is like, um, you know, like like the ultimate thing is to um, sort of um, capture the, the Kirby essence without reminding people so much that um, this is that you what you're looking at is not Jack Kirby. Right, right. It's like Rich Little doing uh, Richard Nixon. You close your eyes. Uh, it sounds a lot like Richard Nixon. Yeah. But then, you know, the reality of it is it's a it's a it's a man uh, pretending to be Richard Nixon. Perhaps heard of Richard Little. I like Richard Little. But um, so I like him better than Richard Nixon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I don't. It, it wasn't a comment on the quality of the work because George Harriman doesn't sell either, and that's those are among some of the greatest comics ever created. And to to I guess it's difficult to expect 
contemporary readers to connect with something that define the medium that they purport to love. Like you cannot take your consciousness out of the present and even imagine what it was like to experience Kirby as he was producing these things. You you had to, we were lucky and well, I'm, I'm the oldest one here. I was lucky enough to be receptive to it in the time it was happening. So that's the How, one. What was your, I'm sure you must've been asked this a thousand times. Like what was your introduction? Like, well, I, I mean, you know, like just listening to Vince, like um, it, there's like a thing called like the gift of recognition and like, you know, in uh, Amadeus, like Salieri had the gift of recognition. He was able to recognize genius when it crossed his path. And most people don't have that. And that is a gift. That is like this, you know, amazing thing. But then it ended up torturing him because he could recognize genius, but could not you know, create it himself. So like, I, I am, you know, like, I, I, I do have like respect for people who were there when, you know, something like, uh, you know, like the fourth world came out and recognized it as like, Oh my God, this is, this is next level stuff. Or people who were there for devil dinosaur or 2001. And were like, like, you know, we're right. like, no, this, this is the real deal right here. You know, like that, that is something special. Uh, but yeah, for me, it's like, you know, it's, it's, you know, many years later. So like the first Kirby I encountered, I, I mean, it would be like his Saturday morning cartoons, like Thundar and things, uh, but, um, the first like comic I'm pretty sure was, uh, the Thor treasury edition Mangog story, um, was, and, and it just, you know, it, it knocked me, you know, for a loop. I was like blown away by it. It was, you know, one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. Um, again, I didn't, um, I wasn't, you know, clued in enough to like understand you know the credits box beyond just the name stan lee like i saw the name stan lee and i'm like oh i know stan lee you know so it just sort of stopped there you know it, it was you know many years later before like i understood like you know you know jack you know and and and, right. and who he was but yeah that, that would probably be it uh there's a spotlight on my comics the entirety of my comics reading if it was a long hallway, there's a spotlight in the middle and it's shining right down on Commandy. That mm -hmm. was the moment for me. I mean, yes, I fell in love with Jack uh, with that Fantastic Four stuff, um, but I don't think Jack ever got more Jack than Commandy. Yeah, it's it's pure Kirby. It really, yeah. It really is. Yeah, it's... Um, it's like, cause like, I mean, like the new gods, the fourth world stuff is my favorite of Kirby's stuff. Um, and it's got like a plan, you know, you could tell there was like some premeditation and, 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 and it just like works really well for me with Commandy. It really seems to me like there is no plan at all. And that's like the best possible circumstance to throw Jack Kirby into. Yeah. He is just purely riffing and just creating, uh, you know, creating worlds at, you know, you know, with a knife to his throat, you know, basically like, like, you know, okay, the deadlines do, what do we got? And that, that imagination is just pulling out all the stops. Yep. Yep. We're going to do a talking bulldog this issue. Okay. You know? <laughs> and, and yes, it was inspired by planet of the, the success of planet of the apes at the time. Um, but I think, I mean, I love the planet of the apes movies, warts and all, but I think Jack made planet of the apes far better. It was his most, commercially successful like at the time his most commercially successful uh book from that dc era so like you know sort of 
tapping into the zeitgeist in that way, you know, just, you know, is, is what allowed that to allowed to allowed art to meet commerce, Yeah, you know, in that kind of way and, and keep it going for as long as it went. It's simply staggering. I have questions. Is it oh, all right? You always have questions, <laughs> which is a very you good thing. Be here. Yeah. Uh, Tom, I wanted to ask about like the sort of like the production of the book, how it came together. I'm, I'm sure you've given like the definitive interview on this already and I just missed it, but like, um, how, like, cause you did it pretty, did you do it before or after fantastic four? I did it before, during and after fantastic four. So like the whole time you were working on both. Yes. Uh, like how long did it take you? Were you moving super fast on this? Like it does, I'm not saying it looks like you did, but like it does have um, an energy to it. I mean, it was like three years. So like three years is like a, a, maybe a little bit long for, you know, 200 some pages. But again, like, yeah, I was working. I, I was working on other stuff. I, I was working on GoBots also. So it was like Jack, Jack Kirby and then GoBots and Fantastic Four, you know, in among the time I was working on Jack Kirby. And I was working on it at like varying levels of intensity. How do you... Uh... Like, what was your process? Do you do a full script? Were you just sort of doing like page by page? Like how, like how did, how did you put it together? Yeah, not, not full script at all. Like again, cause I'm, I'm the guy who's going to draw it. And so like, you know, full script would make sense if there were like other people involved and we need to be on the same page, but no, I, um, created a, like, just like a big outline, you know, like the book bullet points of Jack's whole story. And then, I kind of, you know, rolled up my sleeves and was like, okay, it's time to start drawing. And so I started, you know, drawing a page and then I would, you know, kind of like riff off of, off of that, that, um, that, uh, outline and kind of, and, and then like go in with like, you know, like a fine tooth comb and sort of like, okay, am I a hundred percent sure about this detail or that detail? And, and just, and all the while, um, just on like my off time, my, my leisure time, I'm just reading like every Kirby thing I can, I can get to. And, and, and not with any like, uh, you know, clear intention. I mean, sometimes it's like, okay, I'm talking about blue bolt. So let me like go deep on blue bolt, but sometimes I'm just reading like sort of random stuff and then things will pop in, things will jump in. And so I did that for a little while. And then every so often I'd go back to that big outline and revise it because just working on it, things start coming into like a sharper focus. And I start understanding the, chronology in, in like you know like a more intimate way and so throughout the journey every so often i'd like you know reassess that that roadmap um so it's you know it's it's one of those ways you can work when you're working by yourself yeah yeah so, it's super organic so you allowed it sounds like you you gave the narrative a little bit of space to move on a whim yeah, I mean, nice. yeah, exactly. Like, it, like lots, lots of room for improvisation, and and as it went on, it's kind of like I, I, you know, really like you know, you kind of loosen up a little, and then like really kind of like things start to fit together in in like amazing ways that that you couldn't have anticipated. The part in the book where it switches to uh, to Roz's POV reminds me exactly of that scene in Goodfellas where it switches to Karen's voiceover were you thinking about that at all or is that I, just i mean yeah i i, I was I, I did have like scorsese on the brain i was thinking of uh you know yeah karen and goodfellas or uh casino how like in casino it's kind of famous that like they would change the viewpoints you know throughout the throughout the, the movie but sharon stone like never 
got, like you never heard the story through Sharon, you know, from Sharon Stone's eyes. So it's like, I mean, like that kind of stuff just made me very aware of these like shifting point of views and what it means when you include somebody in the narrative and what it means when you don't include somebody. So, yeah, I mean, that that was, uh, you know, definitely uh, on my mind. Uh, much respect for the uh, I don't want to call it brutality, but there's a visceral uh, quotient to parts of the book, too, that I didn't expect. Yeah, I mean, there was there was there were some conversations with the publisher because it's like if I were to tone down certain aspects of it, it would like widen the audience. There, there's there's like people that get sort that you sort of like leave out if if you uh, you know have it sort of like warts and all. But it it was very important to me that that I um, you know that I don't pull any punches and that and and I mean even like. You know, there's all I mean, there's all kinds of, of like very intense things in the book. But even just like the way Jack talks, like he he swears and he curses. And that is like that's like a, just like a really great detail, like about Jack that that I did not expect, you know, uh, you know, early on in like sort of learning about about Jack just from his like public persona and and and, and his work and the way he comes across like you would imagine him being like very G rated. But then, you know, you hear him talk and it's like, you know, you know, there's video of it and stuff like like, you know, he just he just lets it all hang out. And and I feel like if I if I somehow skirted around that, um, you know, you, you'd be losing, you know, like, a you know, like a, a, a piece of, of like the reality of of this person. Right. He spoke um, unvarnished uh, in the book the way I would assume Ben Grimm would have if the Fantastic Four wasn't uh, produced for children or, 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 <laughs> or, you know, teens back in the day. It just seems like Ben would let it all hang out just like that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, Kirby definitely identified with with the Ben Grimm character. Right. Right. Well, the violence. Oh, go ahead. No, I was they're They're from the same uh stock i mean the 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 streets and the the urban environment and just the say what you mean i I think there's a lot of uh jack's father in in ben Grimm too and and his father's name is ben and um there there is like a physical similarity too like like uh (laughs) you know they they you you can see if you see pictures of his dad you 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 can you can see ben Grimm in there yeah tony what were you gonna say Oh, the the violence in the book. Uh, like, I'm always, I don't know if charmed is the right word, but, like, I always like to hear a good Jack Kirby getting in fights story, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and there was, like, the, a, a perfect amount of them in there. Like, it was just enough to satisfy me, but not so much that I was just like, all right, now he's just having fun with it. Uh, but were, were there, like, Jack whipping somebody's ass of stories that you left out? But, like, you know, um, there's there's one that, like, just you know like in in the shop you know like i i I would i would have loved to have done like a thousand page jack kirby book uh but it's just like you know like that's those are two different decisions it's like you know yeah you know how do i want to live my like there was a guy who just recently did like the definitive charles manson book and it's like he spent decades working on it and he you know lost all kinds of things in his, you know, he was, uh, you know, like destitute and like what had all these ups and downs. And at the end of the journey had this, like, like the, the final word 
on Charles Manson. And it's kind of like, you know, do I want to spend 30 years, uh, you know, um, in, in, uh, you know, sort of quiet desperation or, or do I want to sort of tell the story to the best of my ability in like a time frame that makes sense? So, so uh, like Jack's a huge subject and there will be other books about Jack Kirby. There'll be other graphic novels about Jack Kirby. Maybe, maybe even by me, I, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll do more of these in the future, but yeah, huge. So invariably you're going to, there's so much on the cutting room floor. He, he just lived this amazing life. There's one story that it does kind of eat at me that I didn't find a place for it. And, and maybe, you know, if, in like the second edition or something, maybe, maybe I'll uh, put it in there or something, but it's, it's like so amazing. It's like Jack Kirby, he's, he's, he's elderly now, you know, he's maybe in his sixties at this point. And he's like telling some war stories at like a restaurant. Um, and he's like overheard by some guys who are like his age and like German and like seem and they start like like giving him shit and like, you know, and saying to him in German, oh, you think you're a tough guy. You think you're a tough guy. And you kind of get the sense that like these guys, you know, either, you know, sympathized with the other side or maybe they were the other side. Like maybe maybe these guys, you know, did did fight on the other side and and harbored, you know, a grudge or whatever. And like and Jack talked back to them in German and was like, yeah, I, I do think I'm a tough guy. And like, you know, what do you want to do about it? And so, and the, the, um, the, like that moment, uh, you know, deescalates and, and is diffused, but it's like, as an old man, he was ready to yeah. throw down with Nazis like all over again. And it, it, it's such a great, um, you know, it just kind of completes that arc in such a beautiful way. And like, and that's, that's one that, that like didn't make it in and, it's it's been you know kind of like on my mind a little bit of like oh you know that mm, uh, you know you know, you, you have, in, in the course of making something like this you have to make thousands of decisions and stuff and so you know it ends up being you know the result of you know which way you went with those thousands of decisions so you know that's that's the one yeah, right it's a great. great story yeah and uh we need jack today to punch nazis in the face i mean that's yeah. the kind of person that there's he he knew from living yeah, he, it that yeah and he he was fearless like he didn't he didn't he didn't back down you know for a second no well neither did captain america mhm right so the 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 spark in the creation mirrors the creator and i just um to to just have a a, a no holds barred opinion no you punch those people in the face you don't deal with them that Jack, come save us! <laughs> why, why aren't you here? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he'd be very, very old. One hundred and three. One hundred and three. But I mean, people, you know, Olivia De Havilland just died recently. I think she was like one hundred and four or something. And yeah. yeah, so it happens. He didn't pass on. He ascended. Yep, they he's took, still with us. They he took, never left. Right, they took him back to to either, either he had work in other places that he had to accomplish. So he he said something along the lines of like, "Hey, if you want to know me, if you want to you know get a sense of who I am, just just look at my work. I'm in there." Yeah, and, and, and it it really like I mean, if you if you can get your hands on it, it's worth checking out because again, like thinking of different ways of of putting out this this story, there was a point where I was thinking of like 
putting it out as like a comic, as a regular comic. So this is kind of like you get to have like, you know, just that format, like, like, uh, you know, to tell Jack Kirby's story in, you know, the form that he worked, the, the sort of like monthly comic book. So it's, it's even if, even if you like already have the book, it, I think it would be kind of cool to have this, uh, you know, like right. comic book version of it. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I love the free format, uh, especially when you tweak it a little bit, like Ed did with the, uh, the hip hop family tree with Fantagraphics. There was, uh, aside from the cover, there was slightly different content in the free ones than there were in the actual finished, uh, you know, mass market editions. And I think that's just a smart way to do it to, because then you have people on the quest, not only for the, the finished product, well, that's not right thing to say. Um, the the book as printed, and then this promotional item that is separate but equal, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the I like to me the importance of free comic book day is just like immense, and you know, it's like it's such an honor to be a part of it, and it's such a great opportunity to like reach people that you would not be able to reach otherwise. And if 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 people take it lightly, if like you know, creators or or publishers take it lightly and and put out like a like a substandard product or, or or just business as usual like it's that that's just insane to me like it's like the the few times i've been involved with free comic book day i just like shot for the moon like i took it as like this is like my ultimate at bat to re i mean you're reaching the the very people you want to reach yeah, you, know? you want you want to like expand that that audience just just for comics in general just just for like the good of the the medium yeah, and yeah, um, I love going. Like I always discover something at Free Comic Book Day. Like I'll I'll go and usually you know if you go someplace and you're doing a signing or whatever, they'll let you take all of them, and I invariably end up buying something from those you know from that stack. You get all of the free comics. I mean, yeah, it's, that's why you want to spend your life living destitute, check to check. <laughs> so one time a year they give you free comic books that are free for everybody else too. I'm king of the world. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, what, the book has been out since July. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it. I think there was like a lag between when it came to like bookstores and and digital outlets, and then to comic book stores. I think just like you know some of the the sort of chaos and stuff that that was happening in the direct market. It it, it there was a little bit of a lag there, but yeah. Oh. Wow, it doesn't. I mean, it seems not that that's vintage, but it just seems for some reason it seems fresher in my mind. Well, you know what? I mean, uh, you know the the whole um, you know the the, the circumstances we're living yes, in. Uh, yes, yeah. you know, threw a monkey wrench into a lot of things, like the, you know, free comic book day and, and things like that. But um, it is like you know, things have like a little more of a shelf life now. People are reading more, and and things kind of like new things aren't coming in every day to like replace the thing you worked on so right it's 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 kind of like work working out in a in you know in in a in a way um that like it it's you know if thing if it was business as usual there would have been like new things kind of crowding you know your your thing out so it it, do, it does still feel like a new release it does yeah and the, but that's the devil in inherent in the the direct market um comic book wednesday Right, mm -hmm. you, you you stop in, you get your books, or you get them from our sponsor, and then next week there's even more, and next week there's even more. I I would love it if I mean I know I'm I'm completely in the minority here. 
that there was just maybe one day a month that, and I know it would crash the entire industry. I get it. But you don't have enough time to contemplate and to appreciate the work when you have a stack of whatever one week and then there's a, an equal stack the next. Like, how could you immerse yourself in the art to the level that it deserves when it's completely being cycled out constantly? It's it's a gift and a curse. It's it's a beautiful thing. Uh, yeah, there's there's definitely the downside, but yeah, it's it, it like that's one thing I I really like about comics, and I would miss if if it were to go away is that it's like this living thing. It's it this like fl- it's this flow and and yeah, what what a highlight that is. You know, going into the store and just seeing like a bunch of new stuff. You know, yeah, and that may just be a product of me getting older. I, I admit it, but I mean, I'm the same way with music. Like, how can I understand what's going on in this piece of music when now there's another one and then you blink and there's more? It just seems like the 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 signal that we're constantly being bombarded with, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's no breathing room. Part of it's being older, and part of it, I think, is also the internet, too. Like, there's no way for something to, for you to just sit at home with the one book that you have and just really digest it when you can also, you know, like look at the preview for the next one or order 10 more of them, you know, like, right, right. Like, I have a collection of books that is all, you know, like almost 80% ordered off the internet, you know, because I'll just be like, oh, I should get that. And then I'll just, it'll just show up at my house the next day. Yeah. Uh, and I remember those half as much as the ones where it was just like I had to order it out of a, you know, the back of a magazine or I had to tell my comic shop to get it and then wait for weeks and weeks and, you know, like right. anticipate it, you know, like there's it's like instant gratification is it, it doesn't leave as big of a mark, I don't think. No, you're right. You're right. And anticipation is everything. Oh, I, we, we talk about it all the time. The, the thrill of the chase is equal or greater than the actual attainment of the thing you're chasing. And yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're like two separate components really in, in comics is like the, the enjoyment of the reading and the collecting are two separate things, which is why they are often at odds and why, you know, like you're saying, like we're talking about like, how come my, my stack of stuff to read keeps getting higher, but I keep buying more and more. It's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think we're all total hypocrites in that regard, too. Uh, especially me. I was like, oh, there's too many damn books. Oh, previews. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, just, you, you, you tick things off and you go down the list and it's like, I'm ordering 47 things this month. Like, why? Do I really need them? Uh, in, in reality, no. But it, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean. Tom, you're still a regular like a Wednesday guy, right? Or, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't get out there every Wednesday, but as often as I can, you know, you know, at, at least once a month, but yeah, like, I, I mean, I love it. That's it's, uh, yeah. y- you know, what's your shit right now? Like what, what's, what are you into? I mean, um, I, you know, just like, you know, wrapped up, uh, reading the Daniel Warren Johnson's, uh, wonder woman, you know, I was really into that. And, um, trying to think what what else uh, you know like the when grant morrison's uh green lantern pops up you know like like i'll grab those and, yeah, and then so yeah good. like i'll just like just grab like random stuff just you know some something looks interesting i i haven't picked one up in a while but like you know I, the 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 um 
Marvel Star Wars was really good. And, and then when they recently kind of like restarted it and moved it like after Empire Strikes Back, that that, that stuff was, was pretty interesting too. Literally just was talking about that before you got on the phone. Yeah. I was talking about the Darth Vader book. It's great. Mm-hmm. You're prophetic, Tony. I thought, yeah, just sort of laying the groundwork. Good luck. Yeah. Digging up the dirt. Yeah. I've got one more uh, unrelated Tom Scholey question, uh, and it's about invent help. Okay. Uh, like, can what what was your responsibility at invent help? Like, what did you, what did you do? Do you have like interesting invent help <laughs> stories? Well, I mean, I uh, signed a non-disclosure <laughs> agreement working there, so you know, I you know, I I, I don't think I could answer it uh, answer those questions uh, in a public forum without possibly uh, violating <laughs> those. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was um, like that was my day job. That was what I did for a lot of years. Uh, you know, up up until sort of like the last uh, you know financial collapse. Uh, you know, like that was my date. That was what I did while I was working on Godland, while I was working on Myth of Eight Opus, and and uh, you know, and uh, you know, I have I have some fondness for for those years, but gl- glad that I'm you know that uh, I've I've you know found a like, way to make comics sustainable. Yeah, for sure. But it was an art job, right? Like you were drawing. It was art. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. drawing. It was it was like. Uh, you know, tremendous practice because um, it was, you know, it was like, yeah, my day job, I got I got to draw pictures in my day job. So it, like I wasn't drawing the pictures I wanted to draw right. or would have preferred to draw, but I got to draw pictures. So, you know, my my uh, arm got, you know, a lot of practice. Yeah. Well, hopefully sometime when conventions come back, we run into each other. I want to hear what was going yeah, on. There. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, for a million reasons, you know, looking forward to conventions coming back and, you know, you know, talk talking to all of you guys. Yeah. Yep. Nothing beats walking down Artist Alley and seeing a, a lonely guy at a, a a table with a stack of books and you go over and it's just like, how did I not know this existed? Where have you been my entire life? Uh, just being exposed to art that you don't see every day. It's out there, but because of, you know, the, 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 big names and big big stars that you don't you don't usually get to see it and and finding something like that at a convention it's amazing and the fact that we can't do that right now every there's not a day that goes by that i'm just like i wish this would be over because i i don't care i'll go to a a motel six in the basement with a guy with a (laughs) tick i don't care like i just want the experience of going through long boxes and and seeing stuff that I haven't encountered before it's it's one of the things right now that it's 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 a noticeable loss how long has it been Depp, since we've been to a convention last october new york comic con it's crazy a, it almost is, a uh, year yes i i yes. because of this pandemic i don't even go to the flea market oh really no they still have conventions in like Texas, yeah. Well, well, my buddy Tone just keeps—I keep seeing him on Facebook, just being at some convention. Like, there's nothing happening. It's bizarre. How do you? I still go to the farmers market. Um, that's set up differently. I mean, there's 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 one entrance. They don't allow animals. They don't allow dogs to walk through unless it's a service animal. Uh, they they have things kind of roped off. So normally, if you were around produce table like everybody can kind of be there and pick a register to go to but now they kind of have it roped through so i mean it's life is kind of 
back to normal for the most part here in Peekskill, and 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 I'm I'm glad that I live in an area where um, you get strange looks if you come out of somewhere and and you're not wearing a mask, as opposed to that's that's the rule, not the exception. Unlike other places where I know we'll see groups of people, and like one out of twenty might be wearing a mask, and I'm like I don't I don't get it. But no, I mean I feel, I definitely get to worry about a flea market and things like that, and 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 it's hard to. You can trust people as much as you want, but you don't know what they did before that moment and who else they've been in contact with. So it's no true, and it's worrisome. Um, rural Pennsylvania, so right, yeah, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that's true. But hey, Tom, at least got, your neighbors can vote twice now. Yeah, I got one more actually. Like, <laughs> this book, <laughs> this book seems like it's going to be a like a real big one for you. Has it been bigger than like Transformers was, or like is is COVID sort of like screwing up the like being able to see how it's doing? Like, I'm not trying to talk about your money. Yeah, just, like, I it mean, seems I, like something that'll sell forever. I I haven't gotten any numbers, and I haven't asked to see any numbers because I'd kind of like you know rather not know. But I you know I assume at some point they're gonna you know. But uh, just the sense that I get is is that yeah this this is uh, like the most successful thing I've ever worked on. But um, yeah, I, 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 and and with Transformers, I don't really know the numbers with that either because like I like I know you know how well it did like in in that moment. But it's been sort of a perennial like they've repackaged it and put it out in different versions and stuff. So that w- it, like um, Transformers was like the biggest thing I'd done, and and I, I'm I'm pretty sure. I mean this you know this is. This is like all over the place, so I'm I'm pretty sure this this tops that. Yeah. Well, that's great. I'm I'm very uh, I'm very happy for you. Thanks. Some of the concepts that you guys put into Transformers GI Joe have trickled down to the the actual figures. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I haven't seen anything with the figures, but like there was stuff in like the last um, Transformers movie that was like. Oh holy shit! That's like straight out of straight out of our comic. Like, yeah, um, yeah. You know that that blew. And I got kind of a sense, uh, you know, like there's there's moments in uh, in like the Jack Kirby book where it's like you know he's he sees Star Wars and is like hmm you know like that's interesting, and like I kind of had like that like a similar moment with that Transformers because when I went into it I knew like I knew the score like I I know history and I knew that you know the, this is a licensed thing and that I might create something that gets you know turned into something else you know in perpetuity and am i okay with that and like you know i came to the decision that yes i am okay with it like i'm going into this i you know eyes open and stuff um but it's like until you know you actually get confronted with it it was interesting and that was like an interesting moment watching it and it's like on on one hand i like i just didn't know how to feel about it like i was very excited just to see that oh wow i came up with this like quirky little idea and like here it is in this like multi-million dollar uh you know enterprise but then it's also like hey wait a second you know so it was like i i you know i i didn't feel bad but i felt i felt good and weird yeah yeah well this will make you happy there's a third party megatron figure with the bumblebee bling okay it's it's out there yeah yeah, I mean they 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 did um there were, Kid Robot made some some figures like directly bit like Transformers versus GI Joe, Tom Scioli, John Barber figures like a, a few years ago and that I you know I was pretty excited about that too. Again, like 
no, you know, I've no participation in it whatsoever. Like that was, that was kind of, you know, the, the deal I made, but it, it, it you know, it's, I'm into it. It's, yeah. it's cool. I, I haven't seen like a, like, I haven't been like at target or something and seen, uh, you know, like, a you know, transformers figure or, or, or whatever, like, you know, with something, but I mean, who knows? Yeah. Well, you did the classic streamlined design and, more often than not, that's not exactly the direction that uh, Hasbro go, go, goes in for the Transformers. I mean, a lot of time, more kibble is better, and I just don't understand it. Yeah. You have great taste in, in bots, Mr. Sholey. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I really, like, even, even, like, GoBots, like, there's just something about those designs and, like, the the faces and things like I, I it's it's you know and and maybe it's like the age i was when i first encountered them but like i yeah i think they're like just these really just uh you know cool things yeah um we we don't realize the the impact of a simplistic design like seven's arc seven as a kid i'm like that is the that's a terrible robot now i'm like that's a great design like why aren't there more things like seven's arc seven and and just the the OG Transformers, just how simple and elegant and beautiful the designs were. And then you look at the Bay movies, and it's like, well, you're not paying attention. Like, it's just you can't even make sense of what's going on because there's things everywhere. And again, get off my lawn. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I I know. I know. All there's right. There's that Bay story where they they're they're working on the first Transformers movie, and he wants to kill Optimus Prime. <laughs> and somebody goes like, "Oh yeah, like they did in the movie." And he's like, "Wait, there was a movie?" Oh no! Are you <laughs> kidding me? Like he, he thought he was the second guy to make a Transformers movie. And Only like it's a cartoon movie. He's like, "Oh, that's not real." Only the greatest that's moment in Transformers real. history. That's you know, just discount it. Yeah, I didn't know that existed. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm glad you guys exist, and I'm glad you are here with us for this because we are creeping up on three hours. Massive. Oh episode. my god! Yeah. Uh, we thank you for being here with us. If you would be so kind to check out the uh, 11 o'clock comics presence on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics, and you can see all the fun we have there. In the meantime, solicit the big head honcho sponsor, Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. Get you the books you want, the price you want to pay, and like a good servant they will bring them right to your very door you don't have to do anything nothing no well you have to click a keyboard from the comfort of your home and if that's too much for you to do then maybe you don't deserve comics i don't know but uh dcpservice.com everything in the previous catalog at a fraction of the price in your travels i i want you to get out there and read and buy jack kirby the epic life of the king of comics from mr sholey uh, look up Tony. Tony's got a plethora of amazing things that you can read. My Little Pony Transformers right now. Is that done yet? Or is it... Uh, issue 2 came out this week. Uh, there's two more issues. Okay. Uh, the, the, obviously, there's plans to collect, yes? I imagine they will collect it probably time and time again. Right, Tom? Awesome. Uh, yeah, in perpetuity. <laughs> yeah. That's the way I like to read it, my friend, but I will be there for it. And uh, everybody will hear about it uh, right here. So do that. Tom Scholey, Tony Fleece, get their stuff. They're awesome creators. That's why we have them here. We don't have schlubs on this show. Um, just do it. Dap. 
okay all right so yeah that's that's kind of in your travel so with that said i'll um i don't uh here's something i have uh recently fallen prey to uh and you may laugh but i have a feeling that this might speak to this might be up some of our friends ally but there was a youtube show a year or so ago uh called cobra kai and that is now available the first two seasons are available on netflix and i started watching it and i'm maybe i'm a few episodes into the first season and i will say it is in my mind it is better than it has any right to be it's um you could scoff if if i saw i saw the the first two i think i saw all three movies in the in the theater read the novelization of the movie when i was a kid um because i was a kid when they were coming out and i don't know what it i want on one hand i feel bad for ralph macchio and williams abka because were they successful actors who were leading franchises or something like that i don't think they would either have to recast the leads for this show or they'd have to shift and do something else with the characters. But because of, I, I feel part of it is because of, of, of Ralph Macchio peaking with my cousin Vinny and Zabka probably peaking with how I met your mother. It's, it's, I think where they are in their lives in real life, it makes it that much sweeter for me for this show. It basically what I'm saying is that you travels. If, if, if you have a half hour, give an episode of Cobra Kai a shot. It is, it's well-written. It is, it, they, these are actually adult versions. They're grown-up versions of the teens from the movie years later in their life and where they are. And, um, and as somebody who remembers this first two, especially, but remembers the first movie very fondly, um, this, this, this is just, it's kind of like what I was talking about when we were discussing Bill and Ted a couple weeks ago. It's like it's 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 at a point now where if 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 it was if it hits you right when it was supposed to when it originated when it first came out and now you're revisiting it years later in real time in real time with the people involved in it. Um, there's just something about recapturing that magic and 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 it just it works for me. It it I I am happy to say that uh i'm very pleasantly surprised and i i definitely recommend it i know some people were talking up talking it up when it was on youtube i didn't watch it then glad i had a chance to see it now but yeah i, I and i think the third season is like next year sometime but um i am i'm quite happy with what i've seen so far so in your travels kill some time and watch uh cobra kai yeah i started checking it out like a month or two ago when it was on youtube and yeah okay. i i agree totally like nice it's just amazing and like hits all all you know the nostalgia buttons and stuff but really does like move that story forward does it in an organic way and and kind of reflects like the reality of of just like the the time that's passed yeah since then 100 percent. nice what you got tony oh uh you know what Last time I came on my MI Travel, in your travel, was the Empire X-Men comic. And as I keep reading, I don't – I think I don't care about Empire. Uh, it, it, like, it's just these plant, it's these plant people. Well, I still care about the X-Men ones because the, the X-Men number 11 uh, 
is the most fun. I feel like just Team X Men was just like, what is it that plant people are attacking the Earth? Okay, we'll just. What if we just go ape shit on them? And so like this issue is just Magneto going ape shit on these plant people that are attacking the Earth, uh, and it's super fun. Linnell Yu drew it. It's Hickman, obviously, um, and it starts out like they're telling the legend of how Ham Magneto went on these plant people to like a bunch of mutant children. Like it's set up like this, like super operatic, you know. Like it's going to be like a song of ice and fire, and then it's just Magneto. He puts on like the purple and red, and he goes out to these plant people that are invading, and he like has somebody set up a volcano, and then Ice Magma sets up a volcano, and Iceman freezes the volcanoes it shoots in the air, and then there's just all this iron ore, and then Magneto just is throwing shit through these plant people left and right. It's great, like. It's super fun comics, and they even sort of call back to like the uh, we call it like the memo, uh, like this weird affected thing Hickman's doing, where there's like a memo or a chart all over the place in these things. The infographic. Yeah, like uh, Magneto like asks Magma if they did that study that he requested on the volcanoes on Krakoa, you know, and you just can see that there obviously was a memo sent about Magneto wanting to know about these volcanoes, and they had indeed done the study and then they just explode this big volcano so it's sort of like the opposite of those memo pages which i'm almost at my limit with you know the i need more volcanoes less faxes <laughs> wow great. X- x-men 11 uh, vince i'm so happy i was listening to the show and, and when you had jumped back onto the x-men i was delighted because i remembered how much you liked it when it was first happening and then I was like, he's really missing out on some fun stuff. So you are correct. Not every not every one is a is a home run, but this one I think was a home run. Yeah, it's because of you, in 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 part that I did investigate the X Men because you were going off on it and about how good it was. Like, all right, whatever. <laughs> I guess I'll check them out. And and uh, so far I'm enjoying them. And, and and that even goes for Wolverine. Like really? what? Yeah, what is happening here? Why am I reading Wolverine? I, I haven't even dipped in yet. I bought the first couple of them, but they're just sitting in my pile. David could probably answer this. This Victor Boganovic guy that's drawn it. Dude, is, is he Poppy Capullo's? Like <laughs> there, he he seems to be coming. He's becoming more and more Capullo esque. It, it's because because he was drawing New Superman. Um, he was drawing and, and he was drawing some of the, some of the terrifics and, and it was very, the new Superman stuff, not as much The terrifics is when I really started to see, uh, the Capullo influences and, and then it just got to be more pronounced as time went on. And I was, I was happy to see him. I know he's doing the, the, I don't know if he's alternating or if he and Kubert are splitting issues on, on the Percy, um, Wolverine book, but I know he, um, he 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 was announced for for that series when it was announced pre-covid so um i i i like his work i mean yeah it's it's not it's not a clone it's it's not uh it's you can say it's close but um it's only it, it reminds me of of early capullo when he was on quasar but not as maybe smooth but i i like his work but yeah you're right i mean yeah i don't know if he's a son or a clone but yeah and I, I don't mean I'm not trying to to uh, cast him in a bad light. I think his work no. is wonderful, but yes. there are in the eyes and the facial expressions, the nose, there, there's yeah. a yeah. lot of Capullo in it. And but that's yep. a very good thing. 
right? Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I, I love a clone. Like uh, we were talking about, the, like doing Kirby riffs earlier, but like, eat, like, like the low budge clones. I like that shit too. Like, uh, uh, for some reason, I was looking at Youngblood when it was Roger Cruz earlier this week <laughs> and I, for, I forgot it existed and i was just like i fucking love every page of this fake joe Matarera. like just all of it worked for me i don't know yeah I'll, I'll take a clone all day long if i like the first one i'd like the second one too yeah i'm with you uh, uh i love like uh you know i love when whenever somebody does like a kirby riff and then um like uh, when galacy was working in sort of like pure steranko mode i love mm-hmm. that stuff uh, yeah. you know Sankevich when he was uh you know doing Neil Adams you know in the beginning it's, it's oh, yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's great yeah. it it makes you kind of appreciate the original like the, um the clones kind of highlight different aspects of the person they're emulating that like you might not have been aware of initially yeah. you know without them sort of you know amplifying that that aspect it's so funny you point out Sankevich cuz now the that dude Rod Rice is doing right, like yes. the Sankevich yep He's like the Sinkevich guy. It's sort of like it just keeps going and going and going. Mm-hmm. I hope my children will study the Rod Rice guy. <laughs> yep. I love uh, Giffen's Kirby period. Oh, yeah. 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 Gorgeous stuff. I oh, also yeah, love Giffen's story. trencher period, too. I want some. I want a trencher clone to show up. I don't know where that guy is. Um, you know, they, they gave Giffen a lot of crap during his Jose Munoz period, but I love that stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, what is it? The March Hare, that one shot that he did—it's just straight Munoz, and it's, it's just gorgeous. Yeah, I, Giffen is another one of those guys that does not get enough recognition. Not at all. And that's why he is the way he is, I'm sure. But you know, when you when you slug away at the uh, in the industry for as long as he has, and to not be recognized as one of the power players—that it's—I mean, yeah, he got a little close during '52. Everybody's like, "Oh, this Keith Giffen's guy is great." Well, you know, yeah, but you, there's a wealth of work from the man that you've you know haven't experienced. Sorry, I derailed that. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, the the um, a um, I was just reminded of when I we were talking about um. Lee Weeks and how he followed Bermuda Jr. and Al Williamson on uh, Daredevil. It was very similar to yeah. to what J.R.J.R. was doing. And, and then um, there was uh, Brian Hitch and his Alan Davis period. I have a lot of friends that are uh, – I mean, I'm everybody's influenced by John Romita Jr., I think, that's a certain age. But, like, I have friends that sort of have John Romita Jr.-isms. But there's nobody that's really doing, like, a straight John Romita Jr. quote. I guess the – the uh, guy that did Vision was sort of close. Walter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see a lot of John Romita Jr. in him. Hmm. But there's nobody that's still, I mean, there's not like a Roger Cruz for John Romita Jr. Yeah. I mean, even the guy currently drawing extra comics isn't really doing John Romita Jr. <laughs> How dare you? I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, you got it in your travels? I'm with David on uh, that. One. I... <laughs> I'm just going to run the show. Sorry. There you go. I I, I do. Um, you know, like I've been, in, like, just kind of like in a real like Batman mood lately, and like um, I, I don't know if you guys know. I I recently started like a YouTube channel called Total Recall Show, and just like one of the things like we were doing was taking um, taking like Sam Ham's 
Batman script and his Batman Returns script, and then kind of like comparing that to the movie, and 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 it was uh, like it kind of sent me down this like sort of Batman rabbit hole. So my in your travels is um, they they uh, maybe a bunch uh, you know six years back or something they came out with um, strange apparitions. It was like um, a collection of the Steve Englehart Batman. So it's like Steve Englehart with like a couple of Walt Simonson drawn issues and then and then the marshall the stuff with marshall rogers you know the sort the sort of famous batman run and just like rereading that stuff again and it's it's a nice format like it's got like sort of like the toothy kind of paper and simple production like it's it's just like a really nice venue for those stories and um you know like it's like people who know know but it, it is like it's it like if you're into batman this is like must read stuff like it, it really is like in a lot of ways, like kind of like another like ultimate version of Batman. Like there's sort of like the there's of course like the Miller stuff, and then there's like the Neil Adams stuff. And because this is like right in between those chronologically, it 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 you maybe doesn't get as much of a spotlight on it as those. But like yeah, if you've never read that that like Marshall Rogers um, Steve Englehart run of, of of Batman, this is like you know perfect you know way to get that. How did I not know about this? Yeah, I, I snapped it up because like I have I have those stories like I, not all of them, but I have them in like various formats, various like kind of printings and stuff. But like, you know, it, this this was just like a really, a really nice. Um, yeah, like the design and everything was really nice on it. Yeah, it's really cool. Oh, thanks for the enlightenment, Mr. Sholey. Put it in the chat. Let me see what this looks like. Who's this other guy on your YouTube? Uh, his, his name's Matt Zioli. He's, he's like a friend of mine. He does, he does like music and stuff. Um, but yeah, we just kind of, again, like the, the whole like COVID thing and stuff. It's like, you know, everybody's doing a million like zoom chats and things like that, you know, and it was just kind of like, you know, we just started talking and then, you know, figured, you know, like we, we've kind of put something together, kind of like an excuse to, you know, focus on, you know, some of the, some of the stuff we're into. Cool. It's a good outlet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I, like I mean, you guys have been, uh, you know, are like grandfathers of uh, of the uh, of, of the form, you know, and and it it, it is a lot of fun. like it, you know, like I enjoy like these kind of conversations. So I thought, like you know, why not uh, you know do that more often? Right, natural's better. Scripted, not so good, right? Mm -hmm. Why be constrained? And thank you for not being constrained and listening to this damn thing because we love you. Please. Come back next time. We want to thank Mr. Sholey and Mr. Fleece for being here with us again. Let's do it real soon. I gave you the whole nine yards before. I'm not going to do it again and waste your time. In the meantime, say goodnight. I like it. Thank you. Tony, is that you? Of course. Louder. Oh, I got you. Louder. <laughs> Sounds like a turn signal. Well, we are turning off the highway, so it's entirely fitting. <laughs> <laughs> David. Ah, uh, good night. You're doomed to failure on this one. Oh, he's good. Cool. Now he's very good. Yeah. That's why. Don't I mean, worry. I got to talk. Don't worry about him. He'll be I, fine. I got to talk smack. <laughs> or what I've been doing is I've been talking loudly as yeah. he's about to say it I to kind of drown him out. Yes. 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 He tries. He tries. I think they said know. a full good night this time, out of respect for me. David. No, it was that's true. No, I, I didn't I didn't really do the at the end, but I I, I kept it headfield free. 
All right, boys. Beautiful. This is awesome. Yeah, that's great. That's it for that one.